Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 70. Let's roll. It feels a whole lot like the Gabe Davis victory lap episode. I should just sit here and 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 start waxing poetic about Gabe Davis. I can't wait. We're going to we're going to do all that and more. This is a fun episode. We've got kind of a two-parter for you. Uh, you know, we're going to talk a little NFL, a little playoff football, a little fun stuff. I've got an, an incredible guest to lead us off and then a little bit later I'll be joined by Kyle Larson. Kyle Larson is our Devi uh, director here at the Undroppables and uh, really a NFL draft uh, guru and kind of does all that sort of stuff, just really into that college to, to NFL transition. And, and uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. So, you know, obviously as a dynasty show, it'll be very useful to talk to him. But first up, we've got some fun. And uh, no person better to join me for some fun than my partner here at the, uh, the Undroppables and a new, a new voice on the Undrafted podcast, uh, a very good uh, newcomer to the scene, uh, and uh, a, a very valuable member of the Undroppables that I am so, so glad to get to know. And I think you guys are going to love hearing him and getting to know him yourself. Um, without further ado, I want to bring out my guest, my first guest, Vilele Salas. And Vi can be found on Twitter at W-A-I-S-A-L-L-A-S, Vi Salas. Vi, what's man. going on, buddy? Hey, man, so good to be here. And I look, I know we're going to talk about Gabe Davis later. But as somebody who mm-hmm. who drafted him in the Scott Fishbowl to watch him blow up like that after doing Oops. nothing in the regular season, maybe for a couple of games here and there, I am not a happy person. I'm glad you're taking your victory lap. I'm not taking my victory lap because I watched him do apps just yes. sit on my bench for the entire time. I did win my division in the Scott Fishbowl, a little pat on the back for me. But Gabe Davis – how about 11 weeks of that stuff instead of a couple of weeks here and there? That's all I'm asking. Yeah, you're right, man. No, you're 100% right. I mean, you know, um, the the offseason, I was a big Gabriel Davis fan. I was really loving Gabriel Davis. And then they signed Emmanuel Sanders. And at the at first, I was like, no, no, Emmanuel Sanders is going to back up everybody. He can play the digs role. He can play in the slot so he can back up Beasley. I know he'll spell Davis sometimes, but I think Davis is a starter and it wasn't that way. It did not go that way. They they gave veteran deference. They played the guy with the bigger salary, with the bigger name. And and I think, you know, look, 
in his defense, Emmanuel Sanders played really well to start off the season, so can't really fault uh, the the Buffalo Bills for playing him, but he definitely boxed out Gabe Davis for much of the year. But I think we saw a window into what I felt like could be possible, especially opposite of of, of Steph Diggs and on the same field as Josh Allen, who has a big arm. Uh, Gabe Davis is a guy who can take it down the field and make big plays as he did in this, in this past week's game. But uh, you're 100% right. For fantasy, whoops. And I think, you know, I don't think we plan on starting with Gabe Davis, but, you know, he was the first guy uh, in the playoffs to score four, uh, to catch four touchdown passes. So it only seems right that we give him his shine. I'm, I just want to say I'm happy for Gabe Davis. Yes. I'm happy that he finally broke out because he was a fantasy football darling coming into this season. And it'll be interesting to see what happens next year because Emmanuel Sanders is a free agent. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie, who backed up. Uh, both of them uh, in Buffalo is a free agent. So if they saw what they like, I mean, Gabriel Davis as uh, Stefan Diggs is, uh, you know, side, his side piece, so to speak, the guy on the other side. I mean, <laughs> I'm starting to get warms and fuzzies again for next year. Who, you know, who's to stop me? Yeah. And, 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 it, and of course I will as well. And, and, you know, I'm a little bit hesitant because, you know, at first I thought, I really did think Buffalo saw him as the opposite side to Diggs, And I thought that was going to be kind of how that look. I thought it was going to look a whole lot like it's looked recently, not how it looked early. And I don't know, I guess maybe we had to wait for it, but the only problem with that now is that, you know, in dynasty going forward, we have to wonder if they do something similar again, this off season, right? Maybe it won't be Emmanuel Sanders and I'm not speculating this at all, but maybe it's Allen Robinson or something, you know, something like that where you're like, Oh my God, they killed Gabe Davis again, you know, but um, I don't necessarily foresee that, but it's always possible. You know, one of the things that was, uh, you know, I've said it a, a few times on this show that Gabe Davis checked all the boxes of my, uh, quote unquote, famous anatomy series, um, except for draft capital. He was a fourth round pick, which is, I know it's not, people go, what's the big difference? Fourth round, third round. Look, I don't know what the hell the difference is, but I, it's one round. That's the actual difference. But those day two players get insulated a little bit more. Obviously the contract is a little bit more uh, of a tether to the team, the, the investment, the whole thing. Sometimes these guys who are drafted on day three or undrafted are just a little bit more fragile in terms of whether or not they hold their spot. Now, he's done something uh, that has changed that, which is to endear himself to now all Buffalo Bill fans. And it's going to be really, really hard in the court of public opinion for them to play some washed Emmanuel Sanders type over him next year. So I do think he's earned the opportunity. We'll see, man. We'll see. But I think he's got better days to come. He's still young. Absolutely. And, and there's a lot of change that happened in Buffalo with with uh, Brian Dable probably moving on. So who knows what what's going to be happening, who they bring in the offensive coordinator and maybe the new offensive coordinator likes Gabe Davis. Maybe he wants to feature him more. So you never know when it when when that sort of offseason comes about and there's some transition. Yeah, no doubt. <clears throat> Speaking of that coaching staff. Man, this this is going to be known as the 13 second game. You know, it's it's really bad. I mean, so many amazing things happened in this game. So many amazing things and you know, I think I tweeted it. I was going to have to take my uh my vitriol to the to the coaching staff. I mean, Sean McDermott, Brian Dayball, that whole staff has been so good all season. And then in 13 seconds, they ruin it all. I mean, coaching malpractice uh, I mean, I, I, okay, very simply, how can you not 
kick the ball into the air and land it inside the 10-ish yard line. Make them field that kick, even if they return it to the 30-something, like a good return. I mean, yes, if they take it all the way, I understand. But look, man, that's a low probability. But you got to make that clock start running. You've got to make them field that kick and, and reduce the amount of plays they got. And then if you, for whatever reason, don't do that, perhaps, just maybe, you might want to put someone on uh, Tyreek Hill and K- Travis Kelsey off the line of scrimmage and make it hard for them to release. He gave them free releases into open spaces, which seems fucking crazy to me. I don't think that's the defense you should be playing. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna rush, rush. But I wouldn't rush. I would just cover those two, double them up, put someone on them. We've we've heard uh, others, not just me, say this, but the other thing you can do is you can hold them. You can put your hands on them. If you get the penalty, it's a five-yard penalty first down. Who gives a shit? That's not a big deal. Like, But if they don't call it and they don't convert, you win the fucking game. So when you play the, the this out in your head, you have to coach them up game planning-wise. I was listening to the Mike Lombardi podcast. I'll let you answer after this. But he was talking about the same thing, and he was basically calling out all head coaches saying that head coaches basically now don't uh, they're not they're not they're not game planning for these moments. Uh, and I can't disagree with it, man. It's every game. It seems like we see one thing like this where the the head coach or whatever the infrastructure is doesn't get it right. And, uh, it, you know, I play Madden. You know, you guys play Madden at home. It's like, you know exactly what you're going to do. You're like, I'm just not going to let fucking that guy beat me. Travis Kelsey, fuck that. You know, Tyreek Hill, double his ass. Like, you know, you just know what what you're going to do. And yet somehow they they fuck it up. I just it just befuddles me. What do you think, Vi? So first thing, the 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 happiest person uh, that we're not talking about is Steve Spagnuolo, because uh, he let Buffalo just go down the field. And after Gabriel Davis had. Yeah. Three touchdowns. He was wide open on that touchdown pass. And you're telling me that you don't get the clue that maybe we should guard that guy. And I understand Matthew wasn't wasn't there and you're missing somebody in the middle. But he had three touchdowns already. You think you'd, you'd get the hint that maybe they're going to him. Uh, so he's off the hook. But I think, I think we're also yeah. – look, there's 13 seconds left. Who in the right mind expected them to go 75 yards or let's just say 50 yards in 13 seconds? Like the, the math and the analytics, right. like I don't even know how time works in that fashion to go that far. So that's the other thing. And I also say this. We see this time and time again where defensive coordinators change their entire game plan for the final two minutes or in this case the last 13 seconds. And I agree with you. Why not put somebody at the line to at least bump them off of their route? That's that's something you can do that's going to yes. take at least one second. Like that's one less second. Right. So now in two plays, instead of 13 seconds, you have 11 seconds. And what's the chances you can get down the field in 11 seconds? So I think there's a lot of mistakes right. made on that last drive. But at the end of the day, I think we have to give a little more credit to Chiefs than to Leslie Frazier because I don't think there was any one of us who thought in 13 seconds. I was already like trying to look in my bank account, see how I was going to pay the, the loss of my bet for taking the Chiefs, how I was going to make that happen. And then all of a sudden, here they are going in the field goal range. So I don't see how it's possible to imagine 
anybody getting down there in 13 seconds. And my favorite part about the last couple of days was going on social media and seeing the celebration for the Buffalo Bills. And then 13 seconds later, seeing the celebration from the Chiefs and the disbelief from the Bills. That's that's sports to me. And that was by far. I know I'm not supposed to take delight in people's misery, but that was delightful, if you ask me. Yeah, that was it reminded me of the uh, Malcolm Butler moment when they would superimpose the 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 Patriot fan right before the the Malcolm Butler pick, which are all despondent and brutalized and like, you know, in their own like misery. And then Butler picks it off and they go fucking crazy. And then conversely, you know, showing at the same moment, the Seattle fans just going nuts in their living room. We're going to win the Super Bowl. And then just sitting down in utter disbelief, that sort of immediate shift of that one moment. And it's the same type of thing in those 13 seconds. You're like, I can't believe this is happening. And, you know, you can you can trace this back a little bit because you're right, man. That was I had tweeted. I know you uh, had something to say about this. I had tweeted was that the greatest game of all time or am I being hyperbolic? And I was genuinely asking because in the moment I felt like I was being hyperbolic, but I also was like, I can't, un- I can't fathom more entertainment. <laughs> like what, what more could I have been like, well, it kind of didn't really, you know, it's like, you know, what more, you know? So you did have something to say about that. What are your thoughts about that being the greatest game of all time? I just referenced one of them, but you had, you had some thoughts. Yeah, so I think when you're looking at the greatest games of all time, that by far could be the greatest ending of all time, like going 50 yards or 40 yards in 13 seconds. Like that is almost unimaginable. And when you look at the the charts of win probability that everyone was tweeting out, like just seeing that up and down those last few yes. minutes is ridiculous. Um, but I think when you're talking, this is a divisional game, right? It's not even a championship game. It's not the Super Bowl. The stakes are so much higher in those games. Like, so for me, the greatest games are going to be the, the Super Bowl games. Like, I don't know. And, and you know, I know, I know you're, you're a Boston guy, and, and I'm, I'm sorry to bring this up. But for me, Philly, New England, that Super Bowl goes at the top of the list. No punts. No punts. Yeah. Like, and, 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 a, and, a, and a, di- a backyard finger-in-the-dirt play to take the lead. Like those, and when you are an underdog the entire year, like those type of games, and I also think of like Pittsburgh, Arizona, where Arizona goes down and scores Larry Fitzgerald, takes one to the house with under two minutes to go, and then Ben leads them back down with a toe tap in the corner of the end zone, which will go down in the annals of history in NFL films. Like, and then of course, the Giants, Patriots ending their undefeated run. Uh, Atlanta, New England, 28-3. I mean, you can go like in terms of Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, and this is only within the last 10 years or a little bit more, like the amount of drama that's played out in the Super Bowl is is for me because of the stakes, because there is no other game. Yeah. That's what does it for me. Like that's where I see the level is is this the greatest game? I mean, what were the stakes? And the Super Bowl, the stakes can't get any higher. So that's why as great as that game was, I have to put some of those Super Bowl games ahead of it. That's fair. That's a fair statement. Um, Certainly some of those games, uh, I noticed you went like Giants, Patriots, and like um, Eagles, (laughs) Patriots, but you you tiptoed away from my Malcolm Butler game, my my Atlanta game. I did say Atlanta 28-3. I did say 28-3. You did, you did. I did did say that. The Rams Super Bowl. You're right, there's... 
<laughs> there is something to be said for that sort of Super Bowl moment. And there's been some great Super Bowls. I mean, you know, uh, we we're going to have a Titan Dan. fan on later. We but the Titans. New England, Carolina as well. The Rams. Titans. Titans. Yeah, the Rams. Titans oh, a that was one. a fun game. Yeah, there's been there's been some great ones for sure. I had said last week and I had asked the question, was this the Super Bowl, though? Going into the game, I thought these were the two best teams. And I asked uh, my guest last week, uh, Ryan Searfoss, I asked him if these were the two best quarterbacks in the NFL. I think I was proven right about that thought. I mean, because, you know, as good as Brady and Rodgers, quote unquote, are or were and whatever, and Brady really showed up and oh, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. Right. I mean. He, he, he was clutch, but he wasn't prolific, and he was really kind of average and looked disinterested for most of that game. We'll get there maybe. But, you know, the the real thing was like these two guys are the apex predators, and when they're at their absolute best, they're the two most unstoppable forces in the league. And it showed again with after the two-minute warning, they scored more points than they did before the rest of the game. Like just unbelievable. Like I, that – I remember 26-21 being like, and it was fourth and 13, and it was like, well, if they don't get this, it's over. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it would have been. I mean, you know, pr- you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, it was over. And, and like, from there, there was a whole nother, like, you could tell a long story about what happened. You know, it was like, either it's over or a bunch of other shit, like five touchdowns. It's like, what? You know, so it was just nuts. And that was when the Gabe Davis shake uh, play happened, which was just an awesome route. I mean, he ran, it was fourth and 13. He ran like a fake 13 yard out and just shook the corner into like literally into that tornado where he's like still spinning and you know, that gif. And then, you know, kind of made a tough little catch and that, so that play is amazing. Now you're like, wait, there's way too much time for Mahomes, Mahomes to Hill there's a minute left still. And then they gave too much time for them to come down the field. And then of course the infamous 13 seconds and then the coin toss and then Kelsey. And it's just like, that all just happened in, you know, less than two minutes. It's unbelievable. So entertaining. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm so pissed off that, that my Patriots are in the same division as Josh Allen in the same conference as, um, as Mahomes. And then when you add Burrow and Herbert to that, it's like I've got a pretty good quarterback in Mac Jones, but I mean, come on that that AFC is stacked. I mean, when you look at the AFC quarterback situation, I, it's it's scary. The gauntlet is ridiculous. You talked about Herbert Burrow and these two guys. You're forgetting Lamar Jackson, who was an MVP, who had a Lamar. down year this year, and then you got some young guns yep. that people are really high on. You know, Mac Jones took his team to the and then you got Trevor Lawrence, who was a first round pick. I mean, you can go down the list. There's just it's just not fair. Like, <laughs> it's just like you feel Baker, sorry for Baker for Mayfield. Team. Baker Mayfield still in the list. <laughs> right. Yeah. Baker. I was good about to say it's just not fair to teams like Cleveland. Baker. <laughs> that you got all this wealth in the AFC and they're wondering. Don't forget Baker. Yeah, what's going to happen yeah. in this fifth in this fifth year yeah. with with Baker? Poor Baker, poor Cleveland. Uh, oh, after that, that week poor one game, they, they were already etching their their name in the in the championship game, and then things went south in a hurry. But that's that's for another time. Um, but if uh, to yeah, answer that first question, speaking of whether, Burrow, yeah, oh yes, yeah, let's talk about it. No, let's talk no, about it. I want to talk yeah, about. I want to talk about. Yeah, I want to talk about Joe Joe Cool, Mister Mister Joe Burrow coming in there. And, and knocking down – and, well, we should say this first of all. Derrick Henry was not Derrick Henry. That was not the king. That was an imposter who showed up no. in the game. 
He was not there. Dante yep. Foreman was much more explosive. And really, Mike Vrabel, because of how good the games were yep. on Sunday, got off the hook to keep feeding Derrick Henry. Where he just didn't look right. Yep. Even when every time he got hit, he, there was not that second effort to get off of that. He was always just kind of standing there waiting for the rest of the guys to take him down. Um, and then so Joe Burrow was, uh, was a success because of his circumstances around him. I mean, getting sacked nine times and still winning the game. There's other stuff going on on that one. But, I mean, Burrow, the where he is from last year yeah. in, the, in, the, in tearing his ACL and now the AFC Championship game. How do you not like Joe Burrow unless you're a Cleveland Brown fan? Yeah, exactly. No, Burrow was amazing. I thought, I mean, he, you know, look, regardless of how you get there and how pretty it was, I mean, he took nine sacks. That's suboptimal, but um, he he won the game. I thought he was prolific at times. Uh, He played well enough to win, and they're moving on. And and Cincinnati is not going to worry about style points. That's a franchise that will take the wins in any which way they come. That's (laughs) been a starving franchise. I've got a Cincinnati fan go Dayton Flyers, right? You know, I've got some fans over there. So, um, you know, but um, yeah, I thought, I thought that was amazing. And you're right. I asked the question on last week's pod and, and, you know, Ryan, I got to say disagreed. Well, or at least he, he just said, I asked if Derek Henry, which Derek Henry we're going to get. And I was concerned that we might see this Derek Henry. Look, if Derek Henry's not explosive or whatever, like there are times he looks a little like slow footed, but he's such a beast that he's able to, he's fast, but he's not always that quick, if that makes sense. And I'm like, now he's got literally steel boots on like one in his foot and one on the shoe. And like, I don't know, that didn't sound like a good recipe. I was very, very dubious as to whether or not he would be able to, to come out there and, and, and be the guy he is. You know, it's a real thin line in the NFL. I mean, those athletes are, you know, the difference between a 4-4-40 and a 4-6-5-40, if you saw these two guys run, you'd be like, dude, those are two fast motherfuckers. But in the NFL, one guy's not elite, one guy's elite. It's just that simple. So these guys are, you know, with a steel plate in his foot, he wasn't going to be the same elite player. And it showed. And I thought you're right. I thought Vrabel should have gone to, you know, Foreman more. Just honestly, anybody else. Uh, Tannehill, ooh, rough. Uh, not looking very good. Uh, so yeah, Vrabel. It was funny too because you said it uh, pre-show. You said there's the first time the, the two number one seeds lose in the first uh, first game, you know, of the playoffs. And both those guys, Lafleur and Vrabel, were leading candidates for coach of the year. And we'll get to Lafleur in a moment. But I thought Vrabel didn't coach his best game. Yeah, he was definitely out coached. When you look at what the Bengals did on defense, you know, I. I you know, I was listening to a lot of stuff uh, in this week, a lot of, you know, recaps. And one of the things that really stuck out was the Bengals played zone uh, 23 out of 27 dropbacks for Ryan Tannehill. They were begging Tannehill to throw the ball, not really respecting Derrick Henry because like everyone else, we didn't know what kind of Derrick Henry we were going to get. And after those first couple of plays, they yep. know. And Tannehill on the year had a 3-11 to touchdown to interception ratio. And... If you have that type of numbers and you don't have that run uh, efficiency, you don't have that dynamic player in the backfield who's going to rip one off for 40, 50 yards, then you're playing right into the defense's hands and that's what the Bengals did. And what you've seen these last two weeks, the Bengals have really leaned on just not making mistakes. Against the Raiders, they settled for a field goal after field goal and eked out that win. And then this this game, 
they they survived nine sacks. They're just they're just surviving advancing. Like you said, Cincinnati doesn't care. <laughs> They've been it was thirty one right. years before that Raiders game. They do not care. They're in the AFC Championship game with probably yep. the the mo the the most uh, like in terms of who you, who's got the biggest upside and potential. Like their offense, like with who they have at their skill positions. How do you not like them going forward, even if this year's not the year? Yeah, exactly. They're playing with house money at this particular point. They are, you know, underdogs are the biggest underdog uh, in the championship weekend. Uh, I think that game is at seven right now. Um, It's going to hover in that ballpark. I think it's moved a bit here and there, but it's going to settle in right around a touchdown. And yeah, I don't know. I kind of like the Bengals, you know, uh, getting a touchdown in that game. Uh, They could get blown out, but I feel like even if they're sort of down big, they've got – you know, they've got the the recipe to if they're down 21, like they can score a couple times and cover, you know, cheap with the with the passing game. And like you said, they may be a year away. But I think as a as a Bengals fan, you're kind of like, OK, with being a year away. Like, oh, shucks, we went to the conference championship and lost to Patrick Mahomes with, you know, uh, Burrow back from a knee injury and our offensive line like shit, you know, and we got there. So I think there's a lot to be happy about if you're a Bengals fan. But, uh, you know, sometimes when you're playing loose like that, they they could come up and, and, and shock the world and get to the Super Bowl. They're a live they're a live dog for sure. It's it's interesting when you look at last year, the Bills were the upstart team that played the, the Chiefs in the AFC championship game. And the Bills were playing with house money. And here we go a year later and it's the Chiefs once again in that AFC championship game. And now it's the Bengals. They're playing another upstart team playing with house money who probably next year you're going to be looking at Bengals, Bills, and Chiefs at the top of, at top of that conference. And so who's going to knock down the Chiefs? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see because they still got those guys on the offense that nobody seems to know how to stop, and I don't know how to stop them. Good luck, Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, I still, you know, I've, I said it before. I think Mahomes is w, uh, quarterback one in, uh, in Dynasty, and I, you know, I think he's still the the quarterback one in real NFL. I mean, he is, you know, what did uh, Andy Reid tell him? He said, uh, you know, when it gets grim, be the grim reaper. So I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty awesome. Yeah. So what do you think the over under on grim reaper costumes is going to be at the AFC championship game? Are we talking like thousands or is Amazon just going haywire oh, trying yes. to get them delivered? Fuck. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, the scream outfits or whatever, yeah. like everything. Yeah, it's going to be told. Yes. yes. Please, <laughs> Kansas City, do this. I mean, if they, don't, up, right? if they don't, I'm going to think lesser of them as a fan base. If there's not just a bunch of like, – if it's not Halloween on on this Sunday, I'm going to think less of them. I know they got the barbecue, but if they don't come with the Grim Reaper costumes, uh, they're going to lose a couple points in my books. A hundred percent. They must. So, yeah, we'll be keeping an eye on that. Uh, They've got to do it. It's going to be dope. Um, Who you got in the game and, you know, give us a score just for fun. Like, what do you got in the AFC Championship game? What's going to happen? AFC Championship game, I I like the Chiefs. I'm going with the favorite. I mean, until someone takes down the king, you got to you got to be you got to go with the king. And they've been the king for for a few years now. So I like the Chiefs. I think I think this one's going to be 31 to 21. In, in favor of the Chiefs. You know what? I changed that. I'm going to go 31-20. That's what I say. 31-20 Chiefs. 
That's that's the number. Yeah. Yeah. I figured I figured McPherson. Yeah, it's really few, hard few to pick. Goals. Yeah, it's really hard to pick the Chiefs to score less than thirty because they never do that, <laughs> and especially when they need it, and especially against a team that should be able to pose some offensive threat to them. Uh, with you know with uh, the the Bengals offense and Burrow and that whole that whole group, so I'm with you. I, I think maybe I'll go a little bit higher. I'll say you know I'll I'll pick 37 31, and I'll say the Chiefs, but I'll pick kind of the backdoor cover, the sort of lazy man's cover uh, from the Bengals uh, to keep it kind of close. Um, so, but I don't know, man. I think that's going to be a great game if you want to tease the Chiefs in the over, I think that may be an okay bet. I'm not sure about that, but I, that's where I would be leaning. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> and now we're talking NFC. And, you, you know, my boy, Tom Brady, uh, almost did it again. We had 28-3, to as you mentioned, in the past. Uh, and now we had 27-3, to but it just wasn't enough, and it fell short. Um Wow, that was that was quite painful to watch for a little bit in a lot of different ways. It was a painful game to watch because you were like, first of all, they got smashed. Like the the Rams absolutely kicked the shit out of the Bucks, and then this Brady magic things happens and two brutal fumbles, one from Acres and one from Cup, and I was like, uh oh, right? Didn't you feel it? I mean, first of all. What Brady did was enough. He just didn't get help from the defense on that last possession. But he did more than enough to get him back. But you, but you, you talked about the Acres fumble and the Cup fumble. You forget Acres was on the goal line in the first half too. So they might be going in the, in the into the half with even a bigger lead and even surmount, uh, insurmountable what we thought would have been an insurmountable lead until Tom Brady did his thing. But I was shocked that they were able to come back because. Tom Brady seemed so uncomfortable with the Rams' pass rush. And the Rams were unrelenting in that first half. And as we know with Brady, he's the guy who takes two and a half seconds to throw the ball. He said before that he knows where the ball is going before the play starts. And the Rams were giving him no time to throw that ball. And I thought, that's all you got to do. The Bucs' Bucks O-line is completely banged up. Just keep putting pressure on him. And there's going to be nothing for him to do. The Rams backed off. They started just trying to run the clock out from the moment they went up 27-3, and it bit them in the ass. And then we almost had another 28-3 yeah. uh, situation, which would have been hilarious. As I say, I like to delight in these things. But at the same time, like I would have been like, Brady is, is the devil reincarnated. There's no way someone should be able to do this much for so long at 45 years old. Like the, the, the picture of George Blanda in his 40s, if you haven't seen it, like those two people should not be the same yes. age. So like Brady is <laughs> yes. just a miracle in my books, a miracle of a medical marvel. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am the same age as Tom Brady. And it's like I can't squat down and talk to my children for too long or my knees get stiff and I can't walk like you know, what the fuck? This guy's out there, you know, coming back from 28 to 3 in NFL football games. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, the the sort of legend of Brady was going to be written. And if he wins that game, I mean, he had it won. I mean, it was, you know, it was tie game and another coaching catastrophe as they run cover zero and let the – I mean, 
look, you can say what you want to say about Cooper Cup. You can be like, well, he's just a product of the system. Did, I don't. I, first of all, I don't agree with any of that. But he was the most dominant wide receiver in the NFL. That's what he was statistically. They just let him run free down the middle, single coverage, and just. I, I, again, I don't know how you can call that defense. I don't understand why you would call that defense. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. One way or the other, I'm doubling Cooper Cup. <laughs> like, that's what I'm doing. That's the play call. It's like, all right, listen, whatever the fuck you want to do, you can call anything else, but what part of this defense we're going to run is double teaming Cooper Cup. One guy on him on the line and one guy shadowing him, uh, you know, deep, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> There was a lot of things going on that it's last like crazy. play. Like, uh, uh, I mean, when you're talking about that la- that last play, though, I mean, that's what Todd Bowles does. Todd Bowles yeah. in the last two minutes rushes the quarterback. But there's got to be a point when you look at the scenario. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, we can look at both games that we're talking about. You got the Rams with a less than thirty seconds left. You got the the Chiefs with thirty seconds left. They took alternate approaches and both the offenses prevailed. So it's like, what do you do? Like sometimes a good offense is just going to beat a good defense. Uh, The one thing I will say, Sam Bradford, I mean, Matt Stafford, uh, one of the best in the NFL against the blitz, maybe don't blitz him. That's why the 49ers have been so successful against him because they only blitz him 12% of the time, the least amount out of any teams they played. So maybe don't blitz the guy who eats blitzes for dinner that's just me yeah yeah and i mean you say they kind of did uh they both took the opposite strategy i thought they they did none of them took the strategy of let's double team the 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 guy they're sure to go to and then play either of those two ways against the other guys like in other words nobody put pressure on kelsey and hill and or cup on the line and played behind him as well like just take that motherfucker out like because you know he's looking there you know he's looking there like if you're matt stafford what are you thinking you're like well hopefully cup can get open here <laughs> like, like i don't know you're gonna swing it to your back and like yeah you've got odell i know there's other good players out there but you know you'd rather have those guys running in single coverage than the apex predator you know it's kind of like and I'll, I'll i'll give some co- coaching to you know, and we'll get to this game right now. And I guess, and right now is as good as enough time as any. The 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 49ers Packers game, and in the key play on that one on third down, they ran a, a disguise and took away um, Devontae Adams from Aaron Rodgers. They, they you know they had the, the 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 safety in the box. They're almost like a middle linebacker, and he just turned and ran. He turned his back and ran, and somehow or another. Um, uh, well, I, we know how. Uh, Rogers saw it as single coverage for Devontae Adams, but all of a sudden that sprinting you know, uh, safety from the middle was there to make it double coverage. And, of course, Lazard wide open across the middle, and there it is, right? You can leave the secondary guys wide open, and sometimes they're still going to force it to Kelsey, Hill, Adams, Cup. And the 49ers took away Adams in that key moment. And what did the quarterback do? He threw it to the to the key guy, regardless of the coverage. He wasn't looking for Lazard. He was looking for Adams, just like they were looking for Cup, just like they were looking for Kelsey and Hill. So, you know, the the, the strategy worked in that scenario where they were like, all right, we're going to scheme to take that motherfucker away. And, yeah, I think it's rare. Like, that's a great point. And it's rare 
for these top quarterbacks when the game's on on the line not to go to a receiver they trust, right? When Tom Brady is pressured, yeah. he throws it to Mike Evans because he knows he's got a shot with Mike Evans to bring it down in the yeah. jump ball. Like uh, Aaron Rodgers, he's going to throw it to Devontae Adams a dozen times a game because he trusts that guy to make the catch. Cooper Cup and Stafford, they yep. have that connection now. And luckily for the Chiefs, he's got two of those guys. <laughs> so it sucks for the rest yes, of the league. Exactly. Um, but, I mean, there's hey, got to be a hey, point when you game play. Vi, Vi, Burrow said it out loud. He goes, anytime I see Chase, you know, manned up, I just throw it to him. Like, he said it. He's like, when I see that, I just throw it and hopefully he catches it, you know. Like, he literally said that out loud. So, I mean, I think that that is what these guys think. Like, I've got Jamar Chase. I've got Devonta Adams. I've got whomever, right? Cooper Cup. If they're singled up, man, I'm going to find a way to throw them the ball. They deserve the ball. The only team that doesn't do that is uh, Dallas Cowboys. But sorry, <laughs> sorry, Dallas. If any time we can get a dig on the Dallas Cowboys, I'm good with it. Like, just so you know, we, we can do that anytime. But yes, I agree yeah, with you going, 1000%. Yeah. We can go on that. I wrote, I mean, since we're talking about the Dallas Cowboys, uh, I wrote something uh, that my buddy yeah, and I were it. talking about where we said 13 seconds, the Chiefs went 44 yards, kicked the game time field goal. 13 seconds, Dallas Cowboys, <laughs> one quarterback draw. And that is just where those yeah. offenses are at and where those coaches are at. And, uh, but we can get back to the team that beat Dallas and how oh, hey, talk- stay, stay, stay with stay yeah. with Dallas. Stay with Dallas real quick, Vi, because yeah. I got I got one thing I want to mention about Dallas. Sure. Uh Sean Payton just uh resigned as head coach of the New Orleans Saints. Here's the here's the easy move. If you're the Dallas Cowboys and Jerry Jones, you fire McCarthy right now. Immediately. Right? Because then you don't have McCarthy, which is great. And then you either hire like Kellen Moore, Quinn, uh, or Sean Payton. Now Sean Payton, oh, hey, there's a spot open there. Like you just literally create the void for Sean Payton to fill in. It may be happening anyway, but I would just immediately fire McCarthy and be like, now you can get the scuttlebutt. Now you can you can pick your guy. Because there's. let me ask you this question. Would you rather have McCarthy and no Quinn or Quinn and no McCarthy? So, first of all, if the question is, would I rather have McCarthy? The answer is always no. It doesn't matter who the other person is. <laughs> I've, I've seen what's gone down in Green Bay. I've seen what's happened in Dallas. And, and at some point, you got to realize the dude just has good talent around him. And, and he's lived off those success, whether it was Aaron Rodgers at the peak of his, his excellence or, or now we're looking at um, what he's doing with Dallas with that prolific offense. But I would say, like, I don't see Jerry Jones getting rid of McCarthy. Jerry Jones hired McCarthy, and I think it's too much of his pride to get rid of him after this short of a tenure. Like, he let Wade Phillips stay for four years. You know, he, the, the, the only person who's, who's fired after two years was Chan Gailey, and that was when Dallas was at their peak mm-hmm. after winning a Super Bowl with Barry Switzer. So... Do I think he doesn't like him? I think that may be the case, but I don't think Jerry Jones, as a prideful owner, the guy who runs the franchise, it talks always about the star, is willing to say, I made a mistake this this early. I mean, he held on for G- Jason Garrett for 10 years. I think he's not really to, to move on. But I agree with you, Sean Payton's going to be coveted. I'm just curious on what happened with that with that relationship that he decided to leave. I haven't really kept up with that. I don't know if you have insight but it seemed like that was a job he would never get fired from. 
Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think it's because he wants to go to Dallas, and whether that's now or next year or in the future or whatever, I think they, there's been a lot of strong ties. Jerry Jones and Sean Payton, you know, they love each other, like true love, like, you know, the the the, the eyeballs that pop out of their heads with the hearts on them. They've got that for each other. They, they're in love with each other. So, you know, I think if Jerry Jones really wants him, you might as well just, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, my point is, I guess, I'd rather have a year of Dan Quinn with no McCarthy and I don't even love that necessarily. I mean, but Dan Quinn's not bad. I mean, he's, he did a great job of that defense. I just would rather have him as the head coach than McCarthy as the head coach if that was like plan F. You know, I mean, you still have plenty of other coaches. I mean, Brian Flores would be better than McCarthy. I mean, you know, but if you, there's a shot for them to get Sean Payton, I just really think that if Sean Payton were there, even if Quinn goes, maybe you get the, uh, the, the, the defensive coordinator from Baltimore that they just – Got rid of. I mean, I don't. I can't think of his name right now. It's killing me. But um, dang it, uh, Wink Martindale. It. Sorry, brain fart. Yeah, Wink. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Dang it. Thank you. Right. So <laughs> get Wink in there. Like you know, he did a pretty good job with that defense. They were top ten defense every single year except this year, and they literally were playing with practice squad guys as their defensive backs. So I don't know that that's on Wink. So maybe it was just his course had run out there, but I, he's been a pretty proven defensive coordinator. I think if you give him the talent in Dallas, excuse me, with a Sean Payton or even a Brian Flores, you're in way better shape than you are, you know, with 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 Mike McCarthy. So I would just create the void uh, and allow Sean Payton to feel sort of tempted to come back right away. Now I think uh, if if Dallas were to do that, they may have to compensate New Orleans, but it's worth it. Like Sean Payton's going to win you games. He's going to win you more games than a third round pick's going to win you. So give up the third, get Sean Payton in there, and and go from there. So that that's just my Cowboys thing. And the best thing, if you hate the Cowboys, they probably won't do any of that shit. <laughs> and and that's the other thing too, right? Is like uh, it almost makes more sense to Jerry Jones to flirt with uh, Sean Payton this year and just kind of let him know, hey, it's interesting. Maybe ride Mike McCarthy out for one more year because if Payton's not ready or they got to do some sort of uh, financial or draft compensation, then maybe they just say, no, we're going to ride it out with McCarthy. We made it to the playoffs. We had a shot at the end. Let's give it one more go and then make the move, give Sean Payton a year, maybe a year to just kind of watch the Cowboys, bring him on as a consultant or something um, or, or something along those lines, uh, consultant and uh, quote unquote, and see if you can go there. But, you know, we're spending way too much team, uh, time on a, on a wild card team. Uh, Oh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, let's get let's to the team that, that that beat their ass. <laughs> yeah, let's go yeah, there. Let's get to the team that beat their ass. Yeah. 49ers. And you mentioned it, man. There's a great bit of analysis that, you know, the 49ers have beat the Rams six straight. And they, you know, I love that little blitz uh, stat you gave where they, they blitz them the least. That defensive line, Armstead and Bosa, I mean, they're playing outstanding. That defensive line is for real. They're going to get pressure. And I think they've got a real good shot of winning this game. But before we go all the way there, any more dunking you'd like to do on Aaron Rodgers and this <laughs> awful, awful special teams and the whole thing, like what a fucking epic collapse by, you know, the number one seed with the best quarterback MVP, all the rest of it. I mean, you got to be really disappointed as a Packer fan or player or coach or whatever. You know, I think the, the, the most surprising thing is Lambeau field used to mean something in the playoffs, right? You and I grew up around the same time. Nobody went into Lambeau and beat them. And now you've seen 
uh, in during Aaron Rodgers' tenure, from what I can read off the top, remember off the top of my head, the Giants went in there and beat them uh, in one of the you know like Ice Bowl Part Two with Tom Coughlin's face like bright purple. You had yes, Tom Coughlin's face game. <laughs> yeah, we'll call it that. Everybody knows what we're talking about there. Um, you had last year. That's exactly right. You had last year Tom Brady, a forty-four-year-old Tom Brady, going into the ice icy tundra and beating Green Bay. Um, and then now you have this year the Giants with no passing game whatsoever, no offensive game whatsoever, a bl- just a special teams touchdown, and just Aaron Rodgers. Excuse me, Aaron Jones has 120 yards catching. Devontae Adams has, I think, nine or ten yard, ten catches, and you still can't muster any touchdowns outside of the the lone AJ Dillon touchdown. It seems shocking to me that it would that this is how they pewter out for a second time in a row. I don't know what to make of it. Conspiracy theorists in me would say Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay and he wanted to put one more stake in the hearts. Of, of the front office on his way out. <laughs> That's the conspiracy theory. I have no inside information on this, but it just seems hard to understand how Green Bay, how great they've been these last two years with LaFleur to just shit the bed in at home, in the snow, with those t- type of uh, stakes. Yeah, you, you, you're you're right on the money. And, um, you know, since Aaron Rodgers won his only Super Bowl back in 2011, he's seven and nine in the playoffs. Um, I don't know you can put it all on him. He's actually played some pretty decent games. He hasn't been bad, but he also just hasn't been transcendent. Uh, you're right. They've lost four home games uh, to be eliminated in that time. The famous Tom Coughlin face game uh, the next year in uh, you know 2012 the 11 season 12 uh, 2012 calendar year um, and then they lost to San Francisco uh, at home um, you know in 13 uh, 14 and then you're right the last two years against Tampa Bay and now San Francisco gets them again at home uh, so you're right uh, not not great. Um, you know, so seven and nine record since the Super Bowl. He's twelve and ten overall in his playoff career. Um, you, you know, you'd obviously like to see a little bit better performance from him in the playoffs. Um, this one was had to have been really painful. Number one seed at home, bad weather. They're ready for it. You know, California team coming in. But how 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 gutsy was like Debo Samuel and George Kittle and like Ayuk and that like Debo was first of all. If Debo's not one of your favorite players in the NFL, there's something wrong with you for sure. Like whoever you are listening, if you're like, oh, I don't really like Debo, then there's a problem with you. You need to go seek therapy. You need to do something. Debo is fucking dope. Third and seven with the game on the line. What team is running a, like a literally a inside handoff to their wide receiver who who picks up 10 yards to win the game? It's It's just beautiful. I, I want to see more of this. I want to see. We saw Cordero Patterson, receiver, play in the backfield. We saw yes. Debo come on towards the end of the year. I want to see. I want to see more of this. Get me DK Metcalf in the backfield. Get me AJ Brown yeah. in the backfield. I want to see these big receivers line up in the back, come on jet sweeps, take those trap inside handoffs. Get the ball in the hands of your players. Let's play high school football. Put your best athlete with the ball, and let's do that. And I love how San Francisco – I'm with you, man. I love it. 
Yeah, since Shanahan has taken over, they put their talent, their best talented players with the ball in their hands. And I don't understand why more people don't do this. San Francisco, they did this with Kittle, with getting the ball early so he'd get yards off to contact his first two years in the league. Since Debo came, they've done that. And with Ayuk, it's the short pass. They don't do anything long. It's like, I'm going to get the ball into my best player's hands, and I'm going to do it. And God bless Shanahan for saying, this isn't rocket science. I'm going to give the guy who's the best player on my team the ball and let him do the work. So, yeah, do that. Yeah, they did it. Um, they they did it with um, Elijah Mitchell over Trey Sermon and others. So even though Elijah was a sixth round pick, I believe you know they they, they did that with him. Um, what does that say about Trey Lance then? Because Jimmy G, if he's their ab- absolute best player to give the ball to, man, boy, oh boy, Trey Lance must must be struggling then, eh? You know, I. I- I remember listening to something John Lynch said about uh, Trey Lance at the beginning when they first drafted him, when there was all this talk about, oh, they were going to take Mac Jones. They drafted up they, they moved up to take him and they went with Trey Lance. I, I like to think it was never a decision to play Trey Lance unless the season was tanking. I think Trey Lance, given his skill set, he needs, and I think it's rightfully so, he needs a time to kind of get used to the system. But I would say this, you're telling me whenever Jimmy G moves on, you're going to have a 6'5", 280 quarterback uh, with Debo and Elijah Mitchell in the backfield, and you're going to try and figure out who's going to be running the ball. Trey Lance might throw eight times a game. They might go single wing T and just say, come stop us on the run and we'll take it from there. That's what I, that's what I envision. I want big 10 1980s football from these 49ers and let's see, and just let's see it go. That's all I want to see. I love it. I love it. I mean, they are playing a different style. You know, the Patriots kind of started to play that style as well. They, they didn't do it as well and they're not as, uh, you know, far along, excuse me, as, as the, uh, as the 49ers got to give them a lot of credit. You know, what's the most interesting Super Bowl matchups? I mean, and what's the least interesting one? I think if we were ranking them, like what would be the one you just want to see the most? Uh, and which one do you think you want to see the least? So I think, uh, the most fun, uh, would be Niners Bengals. And the reason I say that is Whoa. because you have two teams not spo- – it's not going to be fun to watch. Let me just say that. But the lead-up would be so much fun. You have the two young teams going at it. Um, I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, who do I want to see? I want to see I want to see Chiefs-Rams. Um, Chiefs, yeah. because they are the top <laughs> offense, the Rams – literally sold their future for a super, another chance at a Super Bowl, and they've done that, and their window is closing because of that. So I think these are the, those are the two most talented teams. And at the same time, Chiefs-Niners would be fun because it would be a rematch from two years ago. But in terms of the best teams yeah. at this point, I love the matchups and the styles of the Rams and the Chiefs where you have the Rams with their defense, Aaron Donald, Against Peyton, uh, excuse me, against uh, Patrick Mahomes, you got Jalen Ramsey uh, going against Tyreek Hill. 
Um, I think there's some fun matchups there. So if I had to choose, I want to see the favorites. Um, styles make styles make fights, and I love the idea of the Chiefs against the Rams for the for the title. Yeah, I uh, I, I agree. I want Chiefs Rams. You know, I, I picked uh, Chiefs to beat the Bucks uh, preseason. And so, you know, that, I mean, I know people are like, oh, what a pick, bro. But like, I mean, I did, you know, it's like the rematch, but it's like, oh, you picked last year's Super Bowl. But I did. I, you know, I was like looking at like, what do I really think is going to happen? I really think that's going to happen. I mean, the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. Tell me when he's not the best player on the planet. And, you know, with Tampa Bay bringing back all 22, I thought that was a huge advantage for them with Tom Brady still healthy. And turned out that health was what hurt them. Like, I think if they have everybody, you know, obviously Tristan Wirfs not playing the offensive line being banged up Godwin Antonio Brown with whatever's wrong with him and you know etc etc they had a lot of issues I mean I think Godwin was a big problem for Tom Brady he likes his trusted player and he didn't have that one trusted guy and what it was either Antonio Brown or Godwin he had neither um you know he you said he was under pressure Wirfs obviously helps with that like their defense was banged up. So I thought I thought that there was a pretty good case to be made for them. I think that, you know, now if you see um, either the 49ers or the Rams are definitely going to represent the NFC w- uh, well. Uh, we, we mentioned that the, the 49ers have beat the Rams six straight. They've got their number. I mean, it could be the rematch from a couple years ago. Jimmy G getting his second opportunity to 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 slay the dragon, right? I mean, that would be kind of fun. Uh, I just hope whoever gets there, there's a lot of health. I don't want to see the star players missing. That's all I, you know. You'd hate to see like 49ers get there and Debo's out or something stupid. You're like, fuck that. Well, that's stupid. I don't want that. You know. We we keep being sold that this is a quarterback league, and I refuse to believe. My stubbornness yeah. refused to believe a man who has not thrown a touchdown pass is going to lead his team to the Super Bowl. For two out of the last three years. But, hey, that's why NFL is king. Because nothing is guaranteed. And who knows what's going to happen this week. And as somebody who lives in L.A., I hope the Rams aren't in it. Because the bandwagon is ridiculous in Los Angeles. It's bad enough when the Dodgers and the Lakers are winning. If these Rams start winning, I can't take it. I might have to move. So please, 49ers, I'm not trying to be a hater, but take care of the Rams so we can get some normalcy and some level-headedness from these Los Angelinos uh, for my for my for my own mental health. Yeah, you deserve it. You deserve it, Bye. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Well, we we uh, we we covered it all. I mean, we could keep going. I think you know. There's definitely going to be some people. Uh, who are who are listening? Who want to hear you back on the show? You're super entertaining. You obviously have a a, a background in doing this sort of stuff. If you don't follow Vi, you really should. He's super awesome. A lot of fun. He makes funny ass videos and stuff like that. Like he's pretty chill, man. He's got a lot of great sports takes, but he's more just the guy you want to be around. He he makes people happy. He's always smiling. He's just a great person. I'm so happy to have him on my team and and to call him my friend. So you know, really, really. Thank, thank you for coming on and just really, really proud to have you around. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. Just tell me how much I need to Venmo, Venmo you for that, for that, uh, those warm words. Um, <laughs> just, just text me, let you know. Yeah, it's pricey. 
It's pricey. I don't know. I don't think you want to know. Uh, no, but it's true, man. You are. You know, I'm really, really grateful. And you know, this is uh, this is supposed to be fun. I, 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 you know, the two things I wanted this show to be, uh, you know, when I first started was was entertaining and useful. You know, if, if we're talking about, you know, so we got useful coming up next. Uh, but entertaining was first. You know, it's like it's a lot of fun. So you 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 made it a lot of fun, and you know, I could talk about this forever, and I think people could really listen to this type of stuff. I mean, I love listening to podcasts right now. I'm listening to just everybody talk about the games. It's a lot of fun. This is what it's all about. And, uh, and, and you made it a lot of fun too. So go follow Vi at W A I S A L L A S Vi Salas. Thank you, buddy. Uh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. It was great. It was a great conversation. I loved it. And, and now moving forward to prospect talk, we're going to finish it off. I've got, the resident Debbie expert, the NFL draft, Nick DeJour for the undroppables, Mr. Kyle Larson. I'm going to bring him out. You can follow Kyle on Twitter. I'm fucking waiting because I don't know his fucking thing off the top of my head. Hold on one second. KL underscore fantasy. Oh, word. You can follow Kyle on Twitter at KL underscore fantasy. Kyle Larson, what is going on? I am so excited to be here, man. Um, Obviously, the draft hasn't happened, so I can just say all of my stupid takes, um, pretend that draft capital just doesn't exist, say I love all these guys who aren't even going to get drafted because who cares? Who knows? That's right. That's exactly correct. Yeah. All your takes now are like, wow, this guy's really smart. (laughs) You know, because it's like, it doesn't matter. After the draft, if someone clips it like Michael P. Duncan and puts it out into the airwaves, if they're bad takes, that's when you've got to be careful. This this Michael P. Duncan, you've got to watch out for him. I, I think I have his trust, at least enough for him to like not go too crazy on me. Yes. Well, uh, Kyle does uh, the the university uh, podcast for us at the Undroppables. He's been doing a lot of Debbie work, a lot of uh, <clears throat> NFL draft work, a uh, big part of the team in terms of college to NFL transition and and really uh, you know looking at those players and you know he'll he'll look at you know all positions but obviously for a dynasty purpose we're looking at just uh, those skill positions and so we're gonna dive right in and I know that's why people tune in and it's 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 awesome man I, we've seen a huge uptick in listenership and as soon as the off season kicks off because that's what people want to hear us talk about is you know the 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 dynasty game theory stuff and you know startup strategies and prospects and right now I'm just trying to familiarize ourselves and what better person to have on than Kyle so without further ado Kyle I, I wanted to start us off with you know the the quarterback position I know there's a couple of guys like right now Kenny Pickett and you know Matt Corral are are, are being mocked in NFL drafts as the one and two I was kind of curious I keep seeing Sam Howell uh, who John Lobb famously said is very athletic on this pod, which is one of the famous uh, moments on this pod. Shout out John Lobb. But, um, y- you know, he's been slipping. I've seen him on on the, uh, the uh, what is it, the uh, NFL draft database uh, site at pick 28. That seems pretty low for Sam Howell. It's, obviously, that means he's slipping into the second round in those mocks sometimes. I don't think that'll really happen, but – uh, what's going on with Sam Howell? What are your thoughts about Sam Howell? Yeah, so, I mean, to be fair, I don't think any quarterbacks are, like, top five or even top ten picks. Um, 
but I love Sam Howell, and I don't think there's any reason he should be dropping. Um, I do understand that he's dropping like because some of the signals we're getting from the NFL are that they don't like him. But, right. I mean, we're going to go to the Senior Bowl in a few weeks. We're going to see all of these guys in the same place, and I think Sam Howell is going to show everybody up. I mean, I love his arm. I love his rushing ability. Um, to me, he's the most pro-ready. Um the only argument being maybe Carson Strong, but I prefer Sam Howell personally. Uh, he's still my QB1 at this point. So Sam Howell, QB1 in both for fantasy and for real NFL. Is that what you're saying? I want to go with best landing spot for fantasy just because I don't think there's any one guy who's like head and shoulders above everybody else. Um, but if somebody were to like end up with Chase Claypool and Juju Smith-Schuster and Najee Harris on their team, or if somebody were to end up with Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and Javante Williams, um, I'd be a hell of a lot more intrigued um, than if they were on the Falcons or something. Yeah, no, I think that's fair, actually. I like that take. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I, you know, some of these guys are like going to land in a spot that that makes sense. And who knows? Like, that's kind of the thing. I think you got to look at them like, you know, definitely landing spot dependent. But as we start to break these guys down, I'm just trying to figure out like maybe upside is where you're leaning. And, you know, they all kind of have their own version of upside. I mean, Sam Howell showed the sort of Konami code this past year where he was just running all over the place. And, you know, a year ago he was so efficient with, with Daz Newsome, Dimey Brown, and of course the aforementioned Javante Williams and Michael Carter, like that team was really efficient this year. Uh, you can probably speak to his weapons or whatever. I forget the guy's name. He had that one big play receiver, but other than that, the team was probably not quite as good as it was a year ago. So he had to do more with his legs. So, but he did it. And so for the NFL purposes, all I care about is that he can do it. He's done it. Um, you know, Kenny Pickett, um, you know, f- the sort of famous fake slide play, he looks pretty fast. I, don't, I haven't scouted him yet, but, you know, the kid seems to have a pretty good arm. My concerns are sort of late breakout and, you know, the Brandon Whedon vibes, but he also has some Josh Allen vibes too. So I'm not exactly sure where he falls between those two uh, players. One is the most prolific quarterback in the NFL. The other one is the most prolific flame out in the NFL. So, you know, he's somewhere between there. Great analysis, Jax. Um <laughs> but Matt Corral, who, who, who knows if he's the guy, but, you know, but that sort of lends me to, to, to look towards the, um, you know, the one guy with this huge upside, which is a guy I think you might be interested in, which is Malik Willis, who has this sort of huge upside and, and, and might be a value in, in rookie drafts. There was a point where he was like that sort of surefire 1.01 because of the rushing upside and the sort of Lamar Jackson comps. Well, we kind of know he's not Lamar Jackson, but, you know, he's somewhere on the spectrum. And so, therefore, if it's kind of like what we talked about on this show last year, which is, you know, if a guy like Fields or Lance hits as an NFL prospect, as an NFL quarterback, they absolutely smash as a fantasy asset. If Malik Willis hits as an NFL quarterback, if he's just above average, good enough to stay on the field, he's going to smash as a fantasy asset, but what are the odds that he's actually any good? I couldn't tell you because (laughs) I don't know, but I do totally agree with you because when Malik Willis enters the NFL at worst, he will be the sixth best rushing quarterback. I mean, he's like, there's Lamar Jackson, number one, obviously, 
And then maybe Josh Allen, probably right. Maybe Josh Allen, maybe Trey Lance, maybe Jalen yeah. Hurts. Um, yeah. I like Willis's style more for staying healthy than I do Lance's because Lance is like Cam Newton. He's just going to barrel people over. But I think Willis has some of that Lamar Jackson, like super shifty kind of stuff in his running game, which could be, you know, obviously insane for fantasy football. I mean, yes. Lamar has a QB one season. He was QB 10 or something this year, and he only played like 14 games. So, yeah, I'm definitely willing to take a shot on, in the second round if he's there. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, right? And, and it's funny because you're right. Landing spot will sort of tell us a, a, a story in and of itself when these when these players finally get picked. But, yeah, um, you know, there was a stat. I forget what exactly what it was, and maybe you have it there. But, you know, his clean pocket – uh, rating was like the worst in the country, you know, um, Malik Willis, like he's not, he was not delivering the ball on target and on time from the pocket. That is very disconcerting. So he's really a broken play player uh, and he's spectacular at that, but that does not make it in the NFL. It's just not going to work. Um, so he's going to have to get better from in the pocket. He might be a red shirt player, the type of guy that, you know, if he did go to Atlanta or something like that, where it's going to be Matt Ryan for another year, maybe that's okay. But, um, you know, I like, think like that, Trey Lance. Yeah. It, yeah, exactly. It could be a good spot if he finds a spot like that. Um, you know, it, it may be worse if he's all of a sudden thrown into the fire. I mean, that could be that could be the case with him. I, I think that's fair. Um, and yeah, if he's going to be, you know, one of the cream of the crop quarterbacks in the NFL, like not fantasy, like in the NFL, he's going to need a Brian Dabble type coach because his mechanics are beyond screwed. Yeah. It's like annoying to watch and I like hardly know quarterback mechanics. I don't claim to know them super well, but it is terrifying to watch. Interesting. Yeah. I have not done the film study on him and, and I'm kind of afraid to do it because there's going to be all these like amazing plays where I'm sure based off of the, the data, I'm expecting to see sort of some really ugly in pocket on time plays and these really spectacular off off schedule plays where you're like, Oh dear, what does this mean? You know, it's like he's got the the intangibles, but does he have the tangibles? You know, it's like, oh my God. Yeah, I, I love that sentence for sure. And he definitely uh doesn't have the tangibles at this point. <laughs> yeah, the Malik Willis tangibles. We might have found a show title, not sure. <laughs> uh <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's obviously you mentioned Carson Strong. I mean, you know, I'm I'm kind of not out, but, you know, very lukewarm just because I think even if he hits, he's going to be, you know, he's not running anywhere, right? Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. he's kind of like what Mac Jones was for me last offseason. Um, I had, like, Mac Jones, like, three as a NFL quarterback scouter, but I had him, like, five for fantasy. Right, um, yeah. I, so you missed. Well... <laughs> I'm only teasing. For rookies, for rookies, I did. I'll give you that. But um, I, I mean, are you really telling me you think he's going to outscore Trey Lance next season? Zach Uh, Wilson's mom says hi. uh, You know, Kyle famously loves Zach Wilson, and I will say, I'm I've come all the way around. I I was you know against you, and now I'm somehow on your team because I'm I'm a buy Zach Wilson. You know. dynasty analyst right now i just think that there's too much potential upside for him uh, to ignore you know i mean he wasn't i mean he was bad 
But you know what? That team was bad. The coaching staff's probably bad. I mean, there's a lot of bad around him. Um, I think he could turn it around. I'm not giving up on him. I actually thought he had a really good end of the season. I agree. I mean, he I, he had um, two Rookie of the Week awards, I think. Yeah. Um, plus, he's tied to Elijah Moore. I think Robert Sala is a good head coach. I'm not sure Mike LaFleur is a good offensive coordinator, but I think Sala is a good head coach. Um, and that offensive line is atrocious. There's It can't get worse. Yep. It can only get better. Yep. yep, he needs he needs that. He needs a little bit of, you know, I don't know if the coaching is good or not, but either way, they they weren't a they weren't a great team, and and they need some help. So if he gets some of that help, who knows? But you know, I, I'd be I'd be looking to invest, especially if people are just sort of giving up and you know throwing them out, you know, uh, for very very little, uh, you know, a, a, a second round pick or something, you know, which is not crazy. There's going to be some super flex leagues where you know a 23 second will net you Zach Wilson. I mean, I've heard worse ideas. Surprisingly, I'm actually getting really good deals for Zach Wilson. Like I'm giving him up for more than enough, in my opinion. Um, I got like Damian Harris, Cortland Sutton, and a 23 first for Zach and a 22 second this year. Um, so I don't think people are giving up. But maybe I'm just lucky and have some really big fanboys in my leagues. And I think he's gone again. You got... What for Zach Wilson? I got Cortland Sutton, Damian Harris, and 23 first from a guy who will likely have the 23 1.01. What? <laughs> yeah, what I mean, bad managers, bad managers stay bad managers. Oh, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully he's wow. not listening because this is a chalk league, so he's probably. Oh, no. Oh, oh, oh no. My, 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 my DMs are open. He could just <laughs> check with me on that one. If he's listening, you can check with me next time on that. Don't do that deal. I mean, really, <laughs> even the 23 first is about as much as you can pay alone because you're bound to get at least somewhat of a similar return for that pick. You know, it's like it's like the Cam Akers thing. It was, you know, uh, why I was willing to trade a 23 first for him was like, you know, the, the running back I'm going to get in this draft is probably as much of a crapshoot as him, you know, and it's so you got to really value that stuff that way. That's an overpay for sure. Like, well, well, I personally won't give you Zach Wilson for a, for a single first. So hmm. if you want him for my team, you're going to have to pay a little more. But that's just because I'm biased and I love Zach Wilson. Yeah, that's fair. But like even like the teams where I own uh, have Mac Jones, like, you know, I mean, I think he's worth a he's worth at least a, a single first for sure. But it's like, you, you get my attention if you're, if you're doing that, because it's like, well, maybe I could, you know, cause look, you would you rather have Jamar chase or Zach Wilson? Like ob- that's an obvious answer. Right. But like, would you have Javante Williams or Zach Wilson? But then it's like, would you rather have, you know, um, Jalen Rager, sorry, Michael P. Duncan <laughs> or, 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 you know, or Zach Wilson. It's like, yeah. You know, so there's a, there's the crapshoot there. That's the point. It's like, it's not guaranteed to be better or worse. It's just in the realm of like players where it's like, you know, Hey, this guy's a sort of hinge point guy, you know? So those first round picks, I mean, if you give me uh, the first round pick plus I might, I might do that, you know? So yeah, anyway, I, I did, I did trade him for one Oh six and Davis mills as well. So yeah, there you go. I, 106 in this draft? That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. And Davis Mills. So, uh, I like Davis Mills. Yeah. Do you think he's got a, a future as a starting quarterback in the NFL? Maybe. Yeah. I'm maybe. I suppose maybe Zach Wilson does too. <laughs> uh, no. I mean, the thing is, the, like, real, the real question is, does Deshaun Watson have a future as the starter in Houston? Because then we're all screwed. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. So, 
I don't. Then think I think so. Davis Mills at least starts next year. Possibly, yeah. I mean, there's just that 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 free agent carousel. There's all the you know the sort of middling guys that are you know maybe be- like it's like a Gardner Minshew thing. Like I'm not saying he's better than Gardner Minshew or Gardner Minshew is better than him. I'm just saying like I don't know. You know, you know what I mean? Do they bring in Jameis Winston and you're like, oh fuck, oh shit, you know, like oh look, Jameis Winston's starting for Houston next year or whatever. These are just examples, right? You know, yeah, so you never know. I mean, I mean, the other thing is there's no reason they should feel like they're a quarterback away. Mm. Like there's no reason they shouldn't give him the chance. Um, I agree. By the way, yeah the on, the only issue is like if they get somebody back in the in a Watson trade. Yep. Then I'm a little concerned. But yeah, the the two uh hurts type of moves that they could make. That's right. Yep. I don't know. We'll see. Let's go. Let's get back to this class. I yes. mean, what are we talking about last year? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, we were kind of moving on and, 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 and I think we can probably move away from some of those quarterbacks. I think Willis is that, that high ceiling and all the other guys. I like your, your attitude about just kind of, let's see where they land. You know, I haven't talked too much about the quarterbacks, um, on the show just because I think there's not too much to talk about until we really start to see where they land a little bit or where they're starting to fall. Um, Cause none of them are like on their own, this sort of thing that's like, Oh yeah, they're going to be good for sure. So I, I, I'm with you to kind of wait and see, but running backs, not as much. Um, yeah. um, running backs, the guy that's been getting a lot of press. I saw Ray G uh, tweet about him, and there's just a ton of, of people who love Kyron Williams and you know, Hey, look, I've seen the highlights. I've watched a little bit of film and a little bit of this and that, and dude looks fun as hell. Um, you know, so what is going on with, uh, Kyron Williams? I, th- I think the question I put on the show sheet for you was, you know, is he big enough uh, in the NFL to play meaningful snaps and to get draft capital at the NFL level? What are your thoughts? I like that question. Thank you. Um, and you can jot me down in the list of people who like Kyron Williams because I like Kyron Williams a hell of a lot. Um, on the Notre Dame website, you know, you can't always trust these things, but he's listed at 5'9", 198. Um, you know, that doesn't put him in the greatest cohort of, you know, three down backs, but it puts him in a good co- cohort of third down backs. Yeah. Uh, James White, 5'10", 194. Naheem Hines, 5'9", 196. J.D. McKissick, 5'10", 195. Uh, Danny Woodhead was 5'8", 204. I mean, I tried to like kind of go back, find a guy who you know is getting a ton of carries and is that size. Um, the only guy I could find was Tiki Barber, who was 5'10", 205. And even he is, you know, got five pounds. Um, I'd love to see Kyron Williams add five to ten pounds before the combine. Um, that'd be really impressive. Um, highly unlikely because... Um, it take a lot of work. Let, let me give but. you some guys that I kind of will talk about. So like um, Michael Carter, 5'8", 201. Um, you know, DeAndre Swift was 5'8", 212. See what I'm saying? So like it's like yeah. – you see what I mean? But though, that 212, that makes DeAndre Swift's BMI 32.2. Like well – Yeah, enough. I was about to say he's 5'8", 212 is fine. It's way fine. That's my point is like, you know, you say – Oh, he's De- he's DeAndre Swift. He's not, you know, he's not that. I mean, it, it, unless he is, right? Like, but it doesn't appear as though that's the case. You know, you talk about Austin Eckler. Eckler is going to be the guy they they um, they comp him to at five nine one ninety nine. 
and it, it could be, you know, it could be that he's in that mold, you know, but that's really right on the outside. And, and if he's five, nine, 200, that puts him very, very close. That's going to be just under 30 BMI. The other guy that was in that size range was Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones, five, nine, 208. Okay. So he crested that, that 30 BMI. It's really close. It's funny how, you know, people hear this and they're like, wait, 10 pounds really matters. Yeah, dude. You know, Christian McCaffrey was close. There's a lot of these sort of pass down backs. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is 5'11", 202. So all these types of players are guys that you could look to Kyron Williams and say, hey, if he can play a little bit bigger, if he's, if he's you know, not five, if, you know, look, he could be big enough and he could be a feature back in the NFL. I think draft cap will tell that story. Yeah, and I mean – with his current measurement, he's at 29.2. Uh-huh. Um, he would need to get to 205 to get to 30. Yep, which is um, fine. Right so, in that ballpark. I think that's fine. So Yeah. Um, you know? I don't know about three down back. Right. Um, I mean, the reason I like Kyron Williams so much is because he offers a floor in this draft class that yeah. I don't see very much anywhere else. Yeah. Um, like – we're talking like Naheem Hines as a floor. Right. Um, Naheem, Naheem Hines has two RB2 seasons in four years. <laughs> right. Um, I, I'll take that at the end of the first. Um, I mean, I won't be happy about it, but I mean, I'd be I'd be willing to like take that floor when the ceiling is a three-down back. Yeah, Eckler, yeah. right? Yeah, the the, ceil- the ceiling is Eckler, the floor is Hines. I think that's fair. I think that's exactly right. And because you're right, he is, at the very least, he seems to be, and I think he's better than Naheem Hines. I mean, really, you know, yeah. we can say that that's the floor, James White, Naheem Hines, but he's profiling as a better player than those guys. So I like it. You know, uh, Michael Pete I was Dunk- actually, oh, go ahead. I was actually really stunned when I looked up Naheem stats from college because yeah, he was pretty he had a dope. Fourteen hundred yard rushing season. <laughs> yeah, He's, he was pretty dope. But like you know, I mean, I, I, I guess his uh, you know he was more of a speed back. You know, he's still very yeah. fast. I mean, he was very fast. He ran a four three eight coming out. So like he was a speed back. I don't think that's how he's uh, Kyron Williams is viewed. I'm not saying he's not fast. I'm just saying he's really really rugged in his contact balance and his mm-hmm. tackle break sure. are part of what makes him so um you know so desirable as a prospect um michael p duncan uh the famous michael p duncan had uh made the point of eckler being the sort of insulated player because he's sort of a you know an all-purpose alpha back but if he ever loses a little bit he'll be just he'll be Naheem Hines right you know he'll sort of graduate to sort of third down back JD McKissick Naheem Hines guy and I like that and I think maybe Kyron is what you're talking about there is look if if he you know if he does have some ceiling seasons of like Eckler type uh you know performance he can always sort of fall back as pass catching third down guy so yeah, I think the floor is 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 very comfortable, especially as a late first, early second. I think he's going to be gone right around the turn in most every superflex draft, and and probably almost a sure first rounder in non superflex, right? Or close to. Honestly, I don't do a ton of non superflex, yeah. so I'm not very good at evaluating like where people will go. But yeah, I, yeah. I would agree. Yeah, me too. It's funny sometimes I'll be talking about. I'm usually saying super flex when I'm talking about where guys will go. 
and I've listened to a couple times where I'm like, oh shit, I didn't even mention if I was Superflex or not. So yeah, generally I'm referring to Superflex and like I said, I think it's somewhere in that one, two turn early second round. And for, for me, like, you know, if you got one of the elite players up top and you can, you know, get a Garrett Wilson and a Kyron Williams, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good takeaway. You know, if you're the one, 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 two, one, three, and that's what you get in the early second, that'd be a slam dunk. Cannot complain about that. Right. So Kyron Williams uh, is going to is going to be there. He's that type of player. That's what you're looking at with Kyron Williams. So, you know, I don't think there's any reason to worry. Um, You know, he's not going to combine his way off the board. He's going to be a fine athlete. Um, The only thing that we'll be looking for at the combine uh, will be his sort of height and weight to make sure that it's not just really bad like you know 180 some odd pounds or something we're like ooh, that hurt so as long as he's in that 195 to 205 range and 5859 i think he's gonna be great for sure for sure uh the next guy is uh felix sharp kept you know making me feel really good about this dude and the more i see from various people all over the place tyler algier um he's the prototype so he doesn't have the floor at all that Kyron Williams has. A Kyron, Kyron Williams has easy for me to say, um, but he does have the ceiling of a Javante Williams, for that matter. Right? He's got this prototypical, absolute monster running back, and apparently he's fast. Kyle, tell me about Tyler Algier from your perspective. Okay, so as like a Devi analyst looking ahead. I was like, you know, Tyler Algier had a really good 2020. Um, I like him for college fantasy next season. Um, And I was like, I'm going to like him as a fringe uh, rookie draft prospect in the future. And now he's being talked about as the RB4. Um, And I don't hate it. He's my RB3. Um, Like, Honestly, when people started saying like they are so high on Tyler Algier, I had to go back and watch it again. And what I saw, I was incredibly impressed. Like, super excited about Tyler Algier. I mean, the dude is 5'11", 220. Like, that's bang, bang, exactly what you want. Yeah. He has two 1,000-yard rushing seasons. He has um, 23 catches last year – or 28 catches last year. So those boxes are all checked. And he says he runs a four three nine forty. That that can't even be true. And if it is, we are in for the skyrocket of Tyler Algier after the combine. If he runs some co- sort of cuckoo number like that, so yeah, that's the the uh, Antonio Gibson, Jonathan Taylor size speed profile, which you just don't see very often. So if he runs anywhere close to that, it's going to be it's going to be really exciting. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a guy with pop. You know, I mean, you know, uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor is, is is so good because he was able to break, you know, big plays uh, it, at, at every level. And he's able to break those big plays because he's got game changing speed. And we're seeing that a little bit from Tyler Algier. Granted, not at the same level, but, you know, he's a converted linebacker and. You know, this is, you know, that's the uh, Javante Williams, you know, music a little bit. Um, so, so yeah, it sounds like he, I, I was going to ask where he ranks for you. You just told me he's, he's RB3. Tell the fine people of the Undrafted Podcast listenership, 
who you've got at uh, RB one and two because that means you're you know with Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, and Kenneth Walker, you've bumped one of those guys out. Who is it? I said I wasn't going to be scared of saying the hot takes, um, and here's like my hottest take so far. Um, so I have a four person tier at the top actually okay. instead of a three like most. So Brees is number one. I mean I think that's pretty clear. He's been dominant for three years. Um, you can't really argue too much against that. I actually have Kyron Williams as number two right now. There it is. Tyler Algier, number three, and Kenneth Walker, number four. So Isaiah Spiller is the guy that I've dropped out, and he's RB7 right now. Woo! That is hot takey. Um, it's a little hot takey, but you know what? It, it could be correct. I've been a little bit dubious of I, – I asked some of the questions on the pod a few a couple weeks ago to Felix. I was like – because he had him at like RB1. I'm like – what happened? Why is all of a sudden he not good? Like, why was he just sort of meh for two years after being pretty dope as a freshman? And what is your answer to that? You just apparently think he is a little bit meh. Is that what you're getting at? I mean, RB7 means that he's good, but he's just not dynamic. Yeah. yeah? I mean, full disclosure, I'm watching prospects right now. I'm not completely done. I haven't gotten to Spiller yet. So I haven't watched the tape. Yep. But what I see analytically is a guy who got outproduced by his teammates on a per touch basis. Um, you can say that's just because Devonna Kane is good. Hmm. I do think Devonna Kane is good, but he's did a whole lot better. And even like the third string running back did better on a per touch basis. So um, something I've really enjoyed reading this off season is uh, Noah Hills on breakout finder. These um, like analytical running back articles, um, I can pull one up. They're called rookie running back efficiency. Hmm. Um, and he's yeah. gotten through about half the guys by now. Um, and what he does mainly is he compares running backs to um, the other running backs on their team, because obviously those guys have, you know, the same blockers, the same scheme. And in most cases, the same defensive alignments. Um, he actually does look at that stuff. So, him and a cane faced this, the same average number of defenders in the box, and he had less yards per carry than him. Um, oh, here's the line I really liked. If Spiller is one of the first five running backs taken in this year's draft, only Trey Mason, Monty Ball, and Christine Michael in the last 10 drafts will have been selected as early as Spiller while carrying the his rushing efficiency score below 30. Mm. Interesting. Yes. Well, so he screams bust to me. Yeah. They're, they're, look, I, when I just briefly box score scouted, that's what I saw. I was like, hey, what happened? Why did all of a sudden he, you know, not perform as well? And now that you bring up this, who have never heard of, Defana Kane, whatever, never heard of him. I'm not a college football guy, but I'm just looking right now. He had seven yards of carry to his 5.6. And the other one that I like too is the, 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 the receiving yards per, per catch. He was 11 yards a catch versus seven yards a catch for Isaiah Spiller. It's not everything. It's not everything. But as you point out, it does lead us to these busts. You know, looking at how their teammates perform, uh, you know, versus themselves does show you whether or not. Now, granted, some of the guys, oh, they play in garbage time. He only plays with the, you know, first stringers. He he plays in games where the, you know, we're blowing the team out, which is a shittier team. There's some of that, right? I get that. I totally understand that. But when they're splitting the carries, basically 
you know, 170 to 130. And he, you know, he had 24 catches to Spiller's 25. They're, they're probably, uh, you know, seeing a little bit more of the same defenses as you're pointing out. And did, did, does Noah kind of do that uh, research in the, in, in this, in the, in this data? Yeah, actually people got so mad at him about Spiller that he went <laughs> back and did it again, um, uh, wrote a whole nother article about how him and a cane face the same number of people on average in the defensive box. Yeah. Um, and then he compared Spiller to like every other running back in the SEC, power five running backs. It's just not good analytically right. Right. at all. So I can't say I'm in. Right. Um, he's somebody that if he stays where his ADP is like now, I'm not going to have a single share. Right. Yeah, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. I, I was getting a little bit dubious, and Kyle Larson has given us some reasons and, and backing it up as to why Isaiah Spiller might be a stay away. Again, we're gonna we're gonna keep we're gonna keep rolling, but I love it. That's a great take, man. And you know, you've got you've got Brees Hall, Kyron Williams, uh, Tyler Algier, and Kenneth Walker. While we're at it, just because I love talking about Kenneth Walker, he's like my favorite player. Just because like when you watch him, he just I don't know, he's that guy where you you, you know he jumps off the page. You know, or the screen when you're watching, you know, uh, watching him run. What are your thoughts about Kenneth Walker, either analytically or film? I mean, he's just a good prospect. Yeah. Like, there are plenty of things I like. Um, obviously, the catching is the biggest issue. Yeah. That doesn't really insulate him very well as like a three down back. Yep. So that would mean he's a two down back, which also means you're splitting carries eventually. So that's where I'm concerned and why I have him four. But he's a good runner. He's a really, really good runner, and that's why he's in the top tier. Yeah. Like, there's nothing I can complain about once he gets the ball in his hands. Yeah, did he uh, – he didn't have that – no, he didn't have that issue at Michigan State. He was – well, he was kind of everything, but everybody else was way less, um, you know, efficient at Michigan yeah. State, you know. And going back to Tyler Algier. Yes. Um over two yards a carry more than any other running back on his team. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Part of that, part of that is because the other running backs were really bad. Right. Like, right. Right. Yes. Um, but yeah, very impressive numbers for yes. Algier. Yeah. Algier is great. The other guy, and uh, now you got me, you're getting me all excited. Uh, one of the other guys that's been a little bit of a darling, both analytically as Blake are, uh, you know, director of analytics at the Undroppables and Felix Sharp, who's a college football sort of guru, both like this guy is Rashad White. And I'm curious as to whether or not you've, uh, you know, gotten to Rashad either analytically or film based and what your thoughts are about Rashad White. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what Felix said. I agree with what Blake sees. He is squarely in my second tier. Um, you know, the issue is he's 6'2". Yes. Um, so he kind of has to be like, what, 225 to get he, to yeah. 30? Yeah. No, it's a um, lot. So I'm hoping he's not 6'2", yeah. right? Like I've, yeah, I, that would I, be I, nice. Yeah, like six foot and three quarters. I'm like, ah, they listen to him at 6'2", those silly gooses, you know? It's like, right? Yeah. And then um, the one other issue is he's five years removed from high school. Mm. Um, he just turned 23. So... Yeah, also a problem. A little, a little bit older, but I mean, I don't usually care too much about running back age coming out. Right. Um, like if you're good, you're good. 
because you're going to get on the field early. I mean, when it starts to matter is when you get to that second contract, and I don't want to think about that right now. That's no, four years away. The only other reason that it matters is if it took you that long to dominate at the college ranks, maybe you're just old, not great. And, right? and I don't think it did. All right. Um, I mean, obviously he started JUCO, played two years in JUCO, so um, he was a good JUCO player, obviously. That's why he got to a Power 5 program as a junior. <laughs> yeah, um, and he had two good seasons in his two years at Arizona State. So I don't think that it's necessarily because he was old. Right. He, no, he really did. I mean, he played 15 games total and had uh, almost 1,500 yards uh, and 20 touchdowns. <laughs> Six and a half yards of carry over his time at, at Arizona State. He was, during that time, 51 catches in 15 games. 600 yards, 12 yards a catch. Wow. Yeah, that's really, yeah. really good performance. Um, you know, I mean, so he's shown out. I mean, both rushing the football and catching the football, he was excellent. Uh, I mean, he's just excellent. So, you know, um, it, he's going to be a fun prospect. He's going to be a real – you know what? He's, he's going to be a really fun guy to push the button for, like in the late second where you're like, get Rashad White here. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Let's go, baby. Yeah. You know, like, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you get someone like um, instead of Isaiah Spiller and, you know, late round run, uh, wide receiver, you get dope wide receiver and Rashad White. And you're like, well, let's see it. Let's go. So, yeah, Rashad White is going to need some draft capital or soft landing spot. You know, it's one of those things where like last year we we were probably this time of year, you're talking Kylan Hill and Jamar Jefferson. And, you know, both those guys got really sort of deeply buried, you know, behind Swift and uh, Jamal Williams, and then um, behind Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, just a tough spot so, for those two guys, you know. And in so the sixth, I round, think, yeah, I think White is immensely better, personally. Great, love. I don't health. know if the NFL does, yes. and yep. that's my issue. Um, you know, most people in terms of like NFL guys aren't in on Rashad White at all. Hmm. Um, if I remember correctly, he's the guy who McShay didn't even have on his like top list, hmm. and that was concerning. He did get the Senior Bowl invite, so that's always a good sign because there's only like what like eight running backs who get to go to the Senior Bowl. Um, but we'll see. Um, I think he's going to show out at the Senior Bowl because I do think he's good. So hopefully that helps him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love the I love the kid. I can't wait to see him. Next so what's, in, what's interesting? I, I referenced this mock draft database, um, you know, situation, which I think is somewhat helpful for us to see what the sort of the 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 at large community thinks. And right now, it, that that list goes: Kenneth Walker, Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, Kyron Williams, James Cook, Tyler Algier, ring a ding ding. Brian Robinson, maybe we'll get there. Hassan Haskins, <laughs> Pierre Strong, Zamir White, get out of here. Jeremy Pierre Strong, yes. Oh yikes, yikes! yikes. Right, I'm like, I. Do you know anything about this guy? So, just so you know, I don't know a oh, single thing. No, Pierre Strong is a good player. Like, yeah. I think he's, I think he's good for an FCS player, but he's not my top-rated FCS running back right now. Okay, tell us. Okay. I mean, this guy, I, I put him on the list at the very end because I wanted to bring him up. Uh, that's Quay Holmes, Q-U-A-Y, from East Tennessee State University. Uh, he's a redshirt senior, 6'1", 216. Um, 
dude had 1,884 total yards last season. Um, did that with 32 catches while averaging 5.9 yards per carry. Um, ETSU was a good team last year. They lost two games, uh, one of them to North Dakota State, which everybody loses to North Dakota State. But they beat Vandy in the opener, 23-3, um, to actually. And um, Quay Holmes ran for 23 attempts for 149 yards oh. against Vanderbilt. Um, like... I mean, obviously the creme de la creme FCS running back right now is James Robinson. So I went ahead and like compared the two in terms of, you know, total yardage every season. It's really close. Like it's within a hundred yards every season. So um, I have some hope for Quay Holmes. And I think even if he like, you know, doesn't get draft capital at all like that wouldn't surprise me he's an fcs guy he can latch onto a roster because he's a good return man um and i think i'm not sure if he has a combine invite or not but he claims to have run a 4.1 shuttle um which would be pretty impressive at the combine um and he looks really fast on tape so i think he'd run well in the 40 yard dash as well I think it's also a little bit of a small sample. I don't think he shows up this pure strong in a lot of them. This Quay Holmes, I, 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 you know, literally as all you guys at home are Googling, I'll be Googling later on and trying to figure out who the fuck this guy is. Um, I have no idea. But after <laughs> after Pierre Strong and Zamir White and Jeremy Ford, who I also think is kind of interesting, comes, Rashad, comes Rashad White. Rashad White at pick 128 average. Uh, kind of holding strong. I think that's what, you know, what does that put him in what, whatever round? You know, it's like five. Yeah, I think. exactly. Right. Like, you know, um, round five, round seven, there's a few different spots that see him going here and there. You know, look, I think he's someone that could, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Rashad White. Well, is he's gonna, definitely better than Samir White. So, yeah, tell me about just, how bad Samir White is. Let's just dunk on Samir White real quick. How bad is this kid? <laughs> Uh, Samir White averaged 5.4 yards per carry last season. Um, yeah. How many catches if you have that up? <laughs> oh, oh, wait. I can pull it up, I think. Hey, if you're counting on your fingers, be, don't worry. It be should fine. be one of the tabs. Oh, yeah. it's not one of the tabs. No, no, hold on. I got it. I'm going to look it up. Zamir White. He, 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 he catches. Receives nine. Yeah, nine catches. He has 17 career catches. Like, this guy is not a pass That's catcher. less than Kenneth Walker, I think. Yes. It's not impressive. A, not a pass catcher and not a very good runner. Hasn't been prolific. I mean, he's really just going to be just a guy, I think, at the NFL level. I don't think he's going to ever do anything. I would just look elsewhere. I would look for a, a you know, just a more lightning in a bottle. I just, I just don't know. The, 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 the only thing, yeah. the right. only thing going for Zamir White is that he controlled carries at Georgia. Right. Like that's kind of impressive. Yes. But even then, they used four backs like right. consistently. But I mean, like. James Cook is obviously the better prospect and player, right? James Cook averaged 6.4 yards per carry last season. Right. Um, for those of you counting at home, that's a whole <laughs> yard more than Samir White. Um, uh, Kendall Milton averaged 4.7 in that offense. So, I mean, James Cook was like head and shoulders above the rest of the Georgia running backs last season, in my opinion. Um, you know, sometimes – I, I like to say there's oh, – what's the word? There's a fallacy of rational coaching yes. where we just assume every coach knows what they're doing. 
Um, I don't like assuming that Kirby Smart knows what he's doing, partly because he's sticking with Stetson Bennett. Um, well, and sometimes uh, they, they promise this guy. Like Zamir White was a was a pretty uh, highly touted recruit, right? Like Zamir White was on the on the the you know the 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 target for you know he's coming out of high school, and so. You know, you can't recruit these guys and then just bury them. You kind of have to give them their opportunities. Otherwise, you're going to have a hard time recruiting in the future, you know? so I You know, think you know who doesn't have happens. an issue with burying five stars? Who's that? Nick Saban. No, he doesn't give a fuck. You know, you know who's the winningest coach in college football? Nick Saban. Yeah, Nick Saban. So then I mean, explain Brian Robinson to me. Well, you know, at some point – um, you know how we talk about Alabama wide receivers, how they don't have breakout ages that are good. Um, I don't think Waddle even broke out at all or something like that. Yeah, um, technically. Same thing's happening with Brian Robinson. Um, he was stuck behind really good players for a long time. Do you I think mean, Najee Harris, I think he's better than a lot of people say he is. Well, um, am I a lot of people? Because I think he's just a guy. Is that a fair? Yeah, you dunk on him a lot. A little bit. I mean, I just because I he's, think... he's a fifth-year player coming out of Alabama. Well, yeah. Never really – I mean, he averaged five yards a carry in Alabama, which, you know, over the course of time, you'd think he'd have a couple of spike opportunities. He's just – I think he's just sort of a bit of a, you know – He's a, a pounder. He's a pounder. I'll give yeah, him that. Right? Right? But I think he's a good pounder in sure. terms of pounders. Go. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. So I mean, his I, just, role, I just don't think it's fair to say he's awful. No, no he's no. not. He's not great, but he's not awful. I mean, he's an awful prospect for fantasy football. Yeah, he's not going to control the backfield ever, right? Um, hopefully, he's not drafted in any of your leagues. So if you like him, you can hopefully get him for free. <laughs> or hopefully, he's oh. drafted right before like you know someone that you you actually do like, oh. like Tyler Algier, and, and you just he just drops to you, and you're like, oh look at look what happened, you know. But I just I don't know. I just don't think like I said, I don't think he's gonna control a backfield. I think that's the, the the best way you could say it. Is that when you look at these guys, you like you try to look at the utility of why the why the NFL team's gonna draft him. And it's like, you know, also we haven't gotten to the combine where, you know, if Brian Robinson all of a sudden is like, you know, runs a four four eight and you're like but, but that would actually be concerning too because you'd be like, how did no he not? Way. Yeah, how did he not <laughs> fucking you know? You know what I mean? But if, on the flip side, really, it's sort of the um, what was the Elijah Holyfield thing when he ran a four seven eight. You're like, okay, that's that. Didn't need to see anything more. Thank you for coming. Yep, uh, never <laughs> drafting you anywhere because you're never going to be able to be elite at the NFL level running a four seven eight. Sorry, it's you're we, we an might amazing. see that with Samir White. Samir, that's <laughs> same, that's what I'm same thinking. team. Same guy. It's possible. That's what I'm thinking. Yep, that's what I'm thinking is going to happen with Zamir White. Is he's just going to absolutely face plant any sort of physical testing. And if he doesn't, God bless him. I, I wish him the best, but I think that's I think that's spot on. Um, moving on, let's go to um, – let's see. Oh, this I, – I, you put him on the list. I didn't. You put him on the list. Yeah. Max, Max Borgie. Homer pick to the extreme. I will. I will warn you. Um, this could, my dad. Hey, my my father is a Washington wait. State alumni, so Listen, I folks, watched Washington folks, State football forever. Alert! Alert! This could get ugly. Don't cover your ears. Get the children out of the room. Do not listen. Okay, tell us more about Max Borgie. Go. I do think he's better, <laughs> similar to Brian Robinson. I think he's better than anyone gives it credit for. Um, I think what happened with Max Borgie is that he got all this hype 
everybody was like, oh, he's Christian McCaffrey. All he has in common with Christian McCaffrey is his skin color and the fact that they're friends. Um, also, he caught 86 passes in 2019, so that's quite interesting. Um, but you you put on the show sheet, is he a product of the system? 86 receptions is a product of the system, yes. Yes. However, comma, 6.4 yards per carry in 2019 is not a product of the system. Um, I think he's a legitimately good back. Um, when Mike Leach left, there, I think there was an issue with the new head coach, Nick Rolovich. Um, I I just don't think he liked Borgie. I don't know why. Borgie played pretty well in that span. Um, he was injured um, in 2020. He only got one game in before he went down. And it was a pretty bad injury, so he was still kind of recovering going into 2021. So what did he hurt? Uh, he hurt his back, actually. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it definitely held him out during spring practice. Um I think he was questionable going into the first game, so that may have something to do with it. But, you know, Rolovich did get fired in the middle of the season um, for political reasons. Um, And so we can compare kind of how Borgie did with Rolovich versus how he did with uh, Jake Dickert, who is now their head coach. Um, In the six games with Nick Rolovich, he averaged 55.33 rushing yards per game on a 5.12 yards per carry clip. In the six games with Jake Dickert, he averaged 91.33 rush yards per game on a 5.78 yards per carry clip. Mm. That's better. Yeah, I think there's something there um, in terms of him just not being utilized correctly at the beginning of the season. Um, And also, in those first six games, he had four receptions. In the last six games, he had 12. Right. I mean, it was. It's obvious this dude can catch passes. He caught eighty six of them in a single season. You should throw him the ball occasionally, no matter what kind of scheme you want to run. Right. This is interesting. This is very interesting. I wonder what type of athlete he is. And you know, you might. I kind of buried him. I'm like senior, small. You know, product of the system. I was very out on Max Borgie. Yeah, the and senior think, thing. Yeah. Go ahead. I think the senior thing is entirely due to the back injury. Right. And exactly. also COVID. Yeah, absolutely. He played one game last year. I mean, in 2020. So, no, this is this is fair, man. I, I appreciate the the context and the devil's advocate to my sort of assumptions. I don't know much about Max Borgie. Like you say, he got unfairly compared to uh, Christian McCaffrey because he was in a system that threw to the running back all the time. I mean, he had 86 catches for under seven yards a catch. So it's not like you know he six yeah yards. i mean i mean mike leach throwing to the running back is basically just a pitch play in a normal offense exactly um, it's extended run right so over six yards per carry would be impressive it so was. why not it yeah. was yeah he's at basically um, six for his career in college which is pretty good you know so i'll give him some credit there and, and i'll revisit it um he's listed at uh 510 205 you think that's real, or you think he's smaller or bigger? I mean, if you had to guess, he might be bigger. Yeah. I, I, he's a stocky guy, yeah, um, and he definitely shows it when he runs. To me, he powers over people quite often, um, and just you know, watching the games casually, there are very few instances where I saw him go backwards when he got tackled. Hmm. Um, it was like a yard and a half every time he got tackled, extra, um, which is something I really like in running backs personally. So there's a pretty good chance he goes undrafted or very late 
Um, it's possible, yeah. Right, it's possible. I agree. I it, we don't know actually because it just takes one, you know. But the injury, I think, you know, we we've learned what the red flags are for NFL teams, and injuries are certainly one of them. So I don't know if he's all the way back. Obviously, I mean, he played a, a full season, rushed for almost 900 yards. So. Uh, amidst apparently a coaching situation, which I did not know. So I appreciate that feedback. Um, he, he's going to be interesting because he can catch the ball. He can be a, you know, uh, like you say, Naheem Hines, J.D. McKissick type player. I don't know if he's that type of receiver. I mean, like you say, it wasn't like yeah. he was yeah, that. He's not, he's not fast. He's, def- he's definitely not like right. quicker than fast like Naheem Hines is. But. Yeah, exactly. So there's some issues, but that's very interesting. What – let me ask you another one because this is a guy that you know Mark Mathic keeps uh, you know singing in my ears about, and that's uh, is it Jeremy or Jerome Ford? I, I don't know. Uh, Jerome Ford. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he started his career at Alabama. If yes. he had stayed at Alabama, he would be Brian Robinson Jr. Um, he <laughs> wasn't going to beat out Najee Harris anytime soon, right? Um, but. Unlike Brian Robinson Jr., he made a smart move for his career and moved on to somewhere else right. um, and succeeded um, yes. pretty darn well, actually. So more power to him. Um, I can open up my rankings real quick. I have him right now as 10. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. No, no, no. 11. That's fine. Yeah, right so, there. Yep. Yeah, I think he's a pretty solid back. Um he is over 30 BMI. I mean, he's 5'11", 220. Um, but the production wasn't quite there to the same level this season as a bunch of other guys in the same area. So, um, I mean, he played for that Cincinnati team. That Cincinnati team was good. Uh, when he was at Cincinnati, he was about just under six and a half yards of carry for his career. He caught 21 passes this past year. Uh, over 10 yards per catch. Uh, he scored 20 touchdowns in that offense. Um, he was sort of a, I guess, the equivalent of a senior, right? You know, I mean, he probably had a red shirt, a transfer, this, that, and the other, but he's, you know, basically, you know, red shirt junior or whatever the hell you want to call him, but four years removed. So I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, the, the kid's interesting. Like you said, he's an Alabama recruit. Um, who wasn't beating out Najee Harris. Well, that's not the worst thing in the world. If he gets some draft capital and he may be, you know, he kind of reminds me a little bit of like Zach Moss, maybe. Is that <laughs> is that a fair? Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere Terminator's going, fuck. Um, you know, but uh, <laughs> is that about maybe what he is? Like just kind of a guy who's just a guy? I think he's probably a better receiver than Zach Moss was. Hmm. Um, so that probably works in his favor. Is um, he a better athlete, you think? He kind of has to be, doesn't he? <laughs> time, time will tell. Um, I mean, isn't that what Zach Moss isn't, is just like we were just betting on the football player, not on the athlete? I mean, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, so, yeah, Ford probably is a better athlete. Um not someone I'm like terribly excited about, but I can understand the appeal. I understand why people really do like him. Um, he's not my favorite, you know, sleeper in that tier, though. So, who's your favorite sleeper in that tier that you've got? Ooh, that's a tough one. There are actually a handful of guys I like. Yeah, like a, Ty- a lot of people talking Tyler Batty. I don't know. I don't like Tyler Batty. Kennedy Brooks. So, 
So Batty had a ton of receptions last year, and he's good in the open field, so I understand why they threw the ball to him. Right. But he's a body catcher. Mm. He's not... I don't think he's going to be a three, a third down back like people think he is just because they see those receptions. Um, those receptions were a product of an offense that couldn't move the ball downfield, in my opinion. Um, Connor Basilak wasn't all that great, and that's why even though he started all sixteen or all 12 games last season, he's transferring away next year um, because he doesn't think he's going to get the job again. So... Um, yeah, the offense wasn't good, so they ran it all through Batty. And then um, in my notes on a totally different page on the other side of my notebook. <laughs> I love it. He's brought, he brought notes, folks. He's, he's ready to go. So obviously they played in the SEC, so they played some good run defenses. But he played seven games against teams that were not in the top 60 against the run last season. He averaged 170 yards per game in those games. Against teams that were in the top 60, he averaged 82.8 yards per game. And that number is highly inflated because he had 203 against Central Michigan, who is somehow 18th, Um, which they're Central Michigan. They must have just played bad teams. Um... So, yeah, I don't get it. Um, and also his production is nowhere before this season. Um, he sat beh- behind Larry Roundtree for the last few seasons. Um, I think he's a fifth-year guy. Uh, no, fourth-year guy. Throw him um, off so, the bridge. Get him out of here. He's out of here. Get him out of here. Forget yeah, three about years it. And, Tell three me years you and like, nothing you like except for Look, I just looked at Kennedy Brooks. I'm already past him, too. He's 23 well, years old. Get Kennedy oh, Brooks the hell out man. of here. No, you like Kennedy Brooks? Kennedy Brooks. Kennedy Brooks was a guy um, who I have watched, and I liked the film. Um, his vision really impressed me, and his cuts really impressed me, um, and his contact balance uh, doesn't go down without two guys, or at least one guy really wrapping him up well. Um, and then. When you said Mark Mathic was whispering in your ear, I thought for sure you were going to say Kennedy Brooks. Yeah, he likes um, Kennedy Brooks a little bit too. He, he loves Kennedy Brooks, and I think he has some good stats to prove it. Um, Kennedy Brooks, according to his tweets, at MasterJune70, full credit to him, uh, fourth in breakaway yards per attempt, second in yards created, fourth in missed tackle percentage, third in yards after contact, and seventh in yards per carry plus. Yeah, which is the thing comparing you to your teammates. So, yeah. yeah, he had a great thread on Kennedy Brooks and asked if that's the guy we're overlooking in this in this draft process. And you know, I, I was kind of being half kidding with throwing him out, but you know, he is he's going to be twenty four, so he's twenty over twenty three years old right now. So that's kind of a now, little bit of an issue. Again, that's COVID. Um, yeah, he that's sat true. out the twenty twenty season. Yeah, that's true. Um, so he's only played three years despite being out of high school for four. Um, and in those three seasons, he has a thousand rushing yards in all three. Um, I think he's a pretty good player. Yep. He might be, he might be. So I think, you did, gonna, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. We'll, we will, I will go to the guy. I really like Zonovan Knight. Yep. Uh, NC state. There we go. Um, he had the same season three years in a row. <laughs> Right. Um, 745 rushing yards and 788, then 753. Um, 
He's also only 20 years old. He's not 21 yet. So is a young prospect, and he's uh, projected to get some draft capital. Um, he's he's 5'11", 210. Yep. So comfortable there pretty much. And I think he's going to kill the combine. Mm. Um, he stands out on tape as an athletic freak. So I think he could star at the combine and really see his stock grow. Um, and then going back, I think this is the fallacy of rational coaching again. Uh, here's some numbers. Um, so in all in all three seasons, he averaged 5.5 yards per carry, consistent. Um, and then the team average, though, in those three years, uh, not including quarterbacks, was 5.2, 4.2, and 4.1. Sure. And they kept giving the ball to Ricky Pearson Jr., um, who's also coming out in this class. Don't draft him. He's he's not good. I, I've um, never heard of him. <laughs> yeah, just leave him alone. Um, so, yeah, I don't understand why they didn't give this kid the ball more. Um, he had over 20 catches in both the last two seasons, too, so that's pretty nice. Um, and then per PFF in 2020, I uh, can't find the 2021 stuff yet because I'm not a subscriber, but he was 15th in running back grade, 14th in carries over 10 yards and fifth enforced missed tackle rate. So the, the dude jukes people out of their shoes sometimes makes people miss. Um, and I think he's really quick. So I think he's going to notch every box on your anatomy series, except for production. Right. So that's why I like him. All right. Well, we're going to, we're going to talk about one final player, but before we do, do you have a, uh, do you have a couple uh, deep, running backs for the people so that they can so they can uh you know start looking yeah. for the next sleeper who you got all right for sure i got two guys you may not have heard of abram smith is the first guy i want to talk about uh, he played for baylor for the last four seasons he is five foot 11 220 so right in that 30 bmi range um similarly to tyler algier he is a converted linebacker Hmm. Uh, he runs with a lot of pop, runs with a lot of power. Um, I enjoy watching him, and I think he's a pretty solid guy to watch out for. And then the second guy is Jashawn Corbin from Florida State. Um, he's only been at FSU for the past two seasons. He started his career at Texas A&M as a highly touted recruit. However, he tore his ACL twice. So um, I, it might have been both ACLs, actually. Jeez. But yeah. Very unfortunate injury history, but he also clocks in at six foot two twenty one, um, and had some good production when he was healthy. I really liked um, how he played when he was healthy. So hopefully, if he stays healthy, I think he could be pretty good. Holy smokes! This Abram Smith, sixteen hundred yards in his final year at Baylor after doing nothing. Converted linebacker, as you point out. Um, wow, pretty interesting. Love it, but. The people didn't come here for Abram Smith, although they're probably excited to put him on their list. Let's talk about the man that you want to talk about that I love. I think you've got a little bit of a crush on him too. Wandale Robinson. Am I right? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Wandale Robinson is like, so fun to watch. Yeah. He's this year's Elijah Moore. He's the guy that wasn't necessarily on anybody's radar, and by the end of it, you won't be able to take him too high. Like, do you have – where? Where do you have him in your wide receiver ranks? Maybe that's going to ruin some of my other questions, but go ahead and tell me where you have him in, in your wide receiver ranks right now. So I have him in the first tier, but I have him at four. Mm. 
I was going to um, ask you uh, this question. So before I get to where else you have, who else you have in those those areas, Chris Olave or Wandale Robinson? Chris Olave is my wide receiver nine. Yes. No. Get no. him out of here. Yes. Push him off a bridge. There we go. I was. Getting- why did you? Why did you go back to school? Yes. Go to the NFL. You. Uh. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know, man. I just think he's just a guy. And wide receiver nine, by the way, it's like, yeah, he's going to be good. Like, I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be a nice little player. But Wandale has special upside. And and he chose to go back to school and then got outproduced by two guys. One of them was a sophomore. <laughs> right, right. He and went back to school and that's, wasn't That's a whole other conversation because Bingo. Jackson Smith and, and Jigba is about to be the wide receiver one next year. Yes. Um, Keep that on your radars. Um, obviously, if you saw the Rose Bowl, you know that. But <laughs> yes, um, but that's my point. It's like, wait, I don't, I haven't, I don't watch college football, but it sounds to me like he wasn't. The, he was the third best receiver on his college team. Why am I having him in the top three or four in the entire country? It doesn't. Yeah, that, it doesn't make I mean, any sense to me. I mean, and full, I'm full respect. Here. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, full full respect to Chris Olave. Yes, the two guys ahead of him, I think were both top 10 in all of college football sure yes so yeah so i don't want to knock him too much for being the wide receiver three on his own team but he just should have come out last year is the biggest thing for me for sure and but also that just means that he's not an alpha dominant number one which is what you're doing at the top of a draft i'm fine with him early second you're looking for a you know a solid ppr guy like totally but to say he's this amazing alpha like i've heard people saying you know, they want him over, like, what, I, I, there's a lot of Olave love. You Olave love. Ooh. Chris Olave. That's what it is. That's his <laughs> new nickname. People love this guy for no good reason. Chris Olave. He does run good routes. I've heard Give that credit before. for that. I've heard that before, Riley Ridley. But anyway, Wandale Robinson had a 41.38% dominator last season. Jesus. He averaged 3.64 yards per team attempt. Are you serious? I mean, yes, I'm serious. Um, the yeah. only, the only other guys like close analytically are Traylon Burks and a handful of group of five wide receivers. I love this. So I'm 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 in on Traylon Burks. I'm in on Wandale Robinson. I'm in on Garrett Wilson. How do you put those three in order? I'm sure they're right there. Burks Wilson. Drake London and then Wandell. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So I like this, Kyle. Great job. That's a that's great because but I yeah. think I, you know I, I had did. Garrett Wilson. I put Garrett Wilson as my wide receiver one, and it was kind of funny too because like I've had Traylon Burks as my wide receiver one this entire time, and then like I don't know. I talked to a couple people recently, like you know um, last week with Ryan Searfoss and just whatever. I'm like, yeah, Garrett Wilson sounds pretty dope too. Like you know you have met wide receiver two. It's not like you like. Uh, don't like either one of them, but I had a lot of people going, thank God you don't have Traylon at number one or like whatever. Just a lot of people, how do you not have Traylon at number one? It's like, dudes, relax. It's like, you know, they're both dope. If you're really on the clock and you've got both to pick, like, congratulations. That's why That's why every rookie rookie ranking should be in tiers, in my opinion. Yes. A whole other debate, but, but yeah, tiers are the way to go. Because um, once you're in those tiers – I can't blame you for bringing any of the any of the guys in them. Exactly. Yes. Like I don't know who's going to be better, Garrett Wilson or Traylon Burks. I see how they're different players, but like you know, everybody has a little bit of bust potential. 
guys like Nikhil Harry, and everybody has a, a little bit of superstar potential. You know, uh, if you remember, A.J. Brown wasn't the clear-cut uh, WR1 in that class. A lot of people were taking Nikhil Harry in, in that class, and so they were close. And it's not like, you know, yes, we had reasons to like each one of them, and all, I get it. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but it wasn't clear at that moment. And if it was clear for you, congratulations, but you probably got a different class wrong. You know, so you probably like Corey Davis or whatever. I don't know. You know, the point of the matter is, is that these things are we're just trying to figure it out. And I think Corey, excuse me, Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks, Drake London, and then Wandale Robinson as wide receiver four is spicy as hell. And I don't I don't think uh, I don't think you're off base, brother. I think you're right on the money. I mean, the dude's an absolute weapon. He yes. averaged 12.8 yards per catch last season. Um, absolutely cooked my volunteers when we played <laughs> each other. Um, Tennessee still won that game, though, uh, but he did cook us. Um, but, yeah, and then he has this background as a running back. Um, it's obvious that even when he was in Nebraska and probably used incorrectly, the coach wanted him to have the ball in the open field no matter what. Uh, as a tweener. Um, so we've had two coaches now say Wondell Robinson needs the ball in his hands for this offense to work. And I think you can do the same thing at the NFL level. Um, he is that kind of, I say Elijah Moore prospect because I loved Elijah Moore and I always drafted him yes. and I'm going to do the same thing to Wandale. Yes. Most likely. Yes. They are different players though. They're Wandale, different players, but they're yeah. similar prospects. Yeah, like in terms the of one, like if they've come up the ranks and you know uh, late, you know, yeah, it's just great. I love him. The, I gotta ask you this one Go issue. Ahead. One Go issue with Fondo. Yes, he's listed as five eleven. Yeah, he's small. As a as a freshman, there were some people who had him listed at five seven. <laughs> yeah, he's um, not five eleven. And there's a picture of him next to Rondale Moore from his freshman season, and Uh-oh. he looks the same height. Uh oh. Um, Uh-oh. obviously he's, he's like 20 Uh-oh. or 21, so he could have grown in the past two years oh, no. and we can hope for that. Oh no. Um, um Kyle, but- stop it. Stop talking. The people are going to start <laughs> jumping off bridges. No, no, no. Wandale is 5'10", folks. Don't listen to him. It's too early to tell people Wandale's too small. Don't do it. We can't in- ignite Twitter in we a will find out in April. Yes. We've already, we've already, I've already seen Twitter ignited. Is Wandale five four? Oh shit! Um, really? I, I need to get yeah. in these Wandale five four streets. You got to get me, link me in there, okay? When you see okay. these streets lighten up, I want the Dino Game Theory in those streets because I need to be part of that. That's the conversation I'm here for on Twitter, and you guys can find us on Twitter. But we're gonna go out on a good one. I'm gonna ask you this. Ready? Sky Moore or Chris Olave for your life? Who has the better career? I actually have Olave ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but dang, I love Sky Moore too. Yeah, right? It's like, it's like, oh shit, if I have to pick for my life, who's going to have a better career? Because I don't know, man. I'll ask you this. Because Sky Moore's a group of five prospect, but he's the level of group of five prospect where he came out after three years. Right. Like that means the NFL is telling him something. Yeah. And that's really impressive for a group of five guys. Same same thing with Sincere McCormick at running back. Yeah, I love I love Sincere McCormick. Who, Sincere McCormick or Zonovan Knight, who you got? 
Sincere is a safer pick for sure. It's so cool, um, right? So yeah, there's some great prospects. I love both those guys as well. Um, I'll ask it this way. Check it out. We'll, we'll, we'll end right around here. Sky Moore or Chris Olave, who would have had better stats this past year at Ohio State? Oh, yeah. You know, you know what I mean? When you say it that way, you're like, probably Sky Moore, dude. But anyway, I think I think sometimes we, we, uh, we see these prospects in different lenses when we start thinking this way. Kyle is a great part of this team because he brings some different thinking. I love talking to him. I love hearing from him. Hopefully you guys love this show. He does stuff like this every uh, every week on University. That's Big U, Big N University, uh, part of the Undroppables Network. Catch him there. He's got great guests, and he's talking about Debbie and college football and all that sort of fun stuff all day long. So Every Kyle, week, every week soon. Yeah, I, I, soon. I, I may have overpromised. It's coming back soon. It's coming back soon. It's not. It's not quite back yet, but it will be soon. I may have overpromised a little bit. Every every week that he feels like it. Everybody knows that's the fucking end of that. Every week when he fucking feels like it, right? Everybody knows. Exactly. Yeah. Whenever the exactly. fuck I feel like it, every week I do it. <laughs> but uh, say goodbye to the people. Tell them where they can find you. You can find me at KL underscore fantasy on Twitter, on the Undroppables website, on the University Podcast. That's at University FF on Twitter. Um, during the season, you can find me on Under the Wire with the one and only Michael P. Duncan in the Fantasy Football Chat Discord. That's a hell of a show. You should come yes, sir. hang out with us on Sunday mornings. Um, and then last but not least... Uh, if you subscribe to the Undroppables Patreon, that's patreon.com slash the Undroppables, you can see my crappy first run rookie ranks in our Discord because yes. um, I share these with them even though I'm not confident in them myself because I want them to roast me instead of Twitter. Well, and also, you know, in that, in that, it's a safe space, is what it is. Basically, is what you're exactly. Saying. It's a place where we are actually workshopping ideas. You're getting a chance to communicate with people who are way into this, just like you, looking at the same type of things that you're looking at, and really challenging yourself. Because really, we already know our rankings are always wrong. Whatever your rankings are, just so you know, they're wrong. Nobody has the correct rankings. We have them messed up. We don't quite know what's going to happen. We're just trying to get as close as possible. We're going to take all the information all year. And we're going to just try and figure it out together. And that's what this is all about. And that's what that Patreon's all about. It's really awesome. It's a dope group. And sometimes I'm in there, although they yell at me for not being in there enough, but I'm there. So let's go get in there. And uh, on behalf of everybody here at the Undroppables, on behalf of everybody here at the Undrafted, on behalf of Vice Salas, on behalf of the greatest producer in the land, Michael P. Duncan, on behalf of our esteemed guest, Kyle Larson, I am Jax Falcone, and we are...